Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And today, we're continuing our team preview series. We are looking at teams 25 through 16. So we start at number 25 with Arkansas. Last year, Arkansas opened 4-0 and moved to number 8 in the AP poll before a 37-0 loss to Georgia to begin a three-game losing streak. The Hogs rebounded to win five of their last six, including a 24-10 game versus Penn State in the Outback Bowl. DK has got their win total at seven and a half. We have them at uh, we have them at six and six, so under that seven and a half, pretty well under that seven and a half. The question with Arkansas, Nick, is according to our projections, Arkansas has the most difficult schedule in the country, but you know they're a top twenty-five team here, and they have a top twenty roster. What is the best or worst case scenario for the Razorbacks in twenty twenty-two? Well, I think. Just off the top of my head, best case scenario, this is a team, you know, that won nine games last year. They certainly uh, have to replace a lot of production, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But you mentioned, you know, top 25 roster. There's not a huge gap between, you know, roster strength of 20 overall where, where Arkansas is, top 25 on both sides of the ball, and, you know, a top 10 team. There is a little bit of a gap. You know, when you talk the elite of the elite, uh, the Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia sort of triumvirate there at the top. But um, Arkansas, I think, has the talent to um, basically, I mean, and and this even would include Alabama on any given, you know, Sunday and they do or Saturday, excuse me. I'm not sure where that came from. Uh, but, you know, and they do get Alabama at home. So, um I, I do believe that the best case scenario is, you know, upset Alabama, um, double digit wins, something along those lines. It's it's probably really, really difficult, uh, I would expect, with this number one uh, rated, you know, strength of schedule for Arkansas to actually run the table, you know, win the SEC and make it to the playoff just unscathed. That that probably is a little too unrealistic. Um, but I, I think that the talent is there, and we've seen enough from Arkansas in the past to think that uh, they're capable of, of beating anyone and, and maybe getting, uh, you know, pushing through, getting double-digit wins. However, on the flip side, you know, what what's the worst-case scenario? Um you mentioned our projections are, are pretty well under that seven and a half. In fact, we uh, only have Arkansas favored in six games. Um, the stats only model only has Arkansas favored in six games and the talent edge projections actually only have Arkansas favored in five games. Um, so six and six is our final projected record. That's, that's, probably not even you know worst case scenario that would probably be seen as a disappointing season for a lot of arkansas fans and and probably some uh you know just just college football fans in general but this schedule is so difficult i mean open with cincinnati who we'll talk about a little bit later undefeated regular season last year playoff uh caliber team certainly not 
you know, certainly has to replace just as much, if not more, than Arkansas. Has to play a, a full SEC West schedule. BYU, Liberty in the non-conference are, are both going to be tests. Um, it, it's a, it's just a really, really difficult slate that it's, you know, there are a lot of winnable games, as I mentioned, but there are a lot of um, coin flips as well, and, and those can go either way. I do really like the roster. I like what I've seen out of K.J. Jefferson. Um in addition to you know doing some good things in the passing game, he's a punishing rusher, uh, runs the ball a lot, and isn't necessarily the fastest guy, but just in some ways, um, and this is a uh, in my eyes a very lofty comparison because I think that this you know until Joe Burrow, this was the single season best quarterback season we had ever seen. He reminds me a little of Cam Newton when he runs, just an absolute hammer um, that can. Uh, you know, get two, three yards if you need and, and always falls forward, always finishes through, uh, you know, the tackler. So um, that's a pretty good weapon to have. They've got a deep running back core. Um, sounds like Rocket Sanders, Ryan Sanders, who's been their top uh, running back, is actually getting a fair amount of reps at receiver. So that's an interesting twist on things. Um, they might have, you know, five, six guys in the rotation uh, in the backfield. Uh, the receiver core got a little bit of a boost with the transfers of uh, Jaden Hazelwood and Matt Landers. Uh, you know, they, of course, have to replace a first rounder and Traylon Burks and three total starters, uh, as well as their starting tight end. So, you know, a lot of new faces in that receiving core, but uh, seems like they did a pretty good job of filling some of those holes. It's going to be interesting to see how backup quarterback Malik Hornsby fits into that. Sounds like he's been getting some receiver reps, certainly was in the spring. I'm really interested to see what his role is because, you know, he is electric fast. Uh, Jefferson, you know, not the fastest quarterback. Hornsby is. He's just not as big. So, you know, want to see what they can do to get creative with him with an offensive line that is very experienced for returning starters from a top 50 unit in O-line performance last year. The defense, even though it's going to be um, pretty inexperienced, was a much, much improved unit in 2021 compared to 2020 and 2019. The progression is really, um, you know, we're seeing the the progression under, uh, you know, that defensive coaching staff. The secondary, even though they lost a couple of high-profile transfers, a couple of starters at safety to transfer, also supplemented with uh, guys in the transfer portal, all three levels actually of the defense might have at least one starter. So there might be you know three, four starters who are transfers there at Arkansas. So if those work out, plus they get Jalen Catalan back, who missed a lot of time with injury last year from – you know, he's an all-American candidate when when fully healthy. So hopefully he'll be able to, to get back to that level. And this defense will be, you know, just as good, if not uh, maybe have a chance to, to be better. But it certainly, uh, you know, could be a top 25 unit on the field. Mix that in with a top 25 potential offense. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things to like about Arkansas. A lot of winnable games. It's just that there are so many toss-ups in so many games that um 
you know, we just don't don't give Arkansas an edge. Um, and, and so it's going to be very, very difficult to navigate. Six and six to me seems low. I, I think seven and five is probably, um, you know, I, I feel like maybe we're not giving Arkansas enough credit. They, they've been a improving program, and I really like a lot of the things that I've seen from them. And, and you know, the coaching staff, there's a lot of consistency there under Sam Pittman. Um, but it's just such a tough schedule that, uh, you know, seven wins, maybe eight for me is probably the most realistic, you know, realistic outcome. I, I don't think, um, at least as we sit right now, you know, I, I, I just don't quite see that actual uh, high end of the best case scenario uh, for Arkansas this year. Xavier, your thoughts on Arkansas this year? Uh, obviously, like uh, Nick said, a lot of different ways that uh, this can turn out for them. What what do you see uh, being the most realistic? I'm extremely bullish on Arkansas. Like, oh, maybe a little bit too far. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I understand the schedule was rather difficult, but I think the schedule was also in some ways overrated. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Cincinnati going into this year. I'll be perfectly honest with you. That's just you know, precursor to later in the podcast. Um, I think they go 3-0 and in their first three games, and then we get a real test with them going to Arlington um, and playing at the neutral side against Texas A&M. Um, I think after that, Obviously, I don't think they beat Bama. Uh, I think they managed the Mississippi State BYU situation uh, rather well, and I and I love their last five games. I think they can go four and one at at best. Uh, at best, five and zero. Oh, I'm more comfortable with saying four and one uh, when they see Auburn, Liberty, LSU, Ole Miss, and at Missouri. And the main reason for that is they get, in my opinion, the hardest game at home. Now, Ole Miss will be at you know in Fayetteville. Uh, they also get you know, like I said, they get Alabama in Fayetteville as well. They get Texas A&M in a neutral site, and this is a team that has shown you over the last couple of years. They play Texas A&M really well at neutral site. Um, even before last year, uh, the year under Felipe Franks, once again, played them extremely well, uh, even though I believe they lost that game. Played them extremely well um, in the neutral site games against A&M uh, very recently. So I love Arkansas, and, more, and I love the moves that they made recently. Uh, the one thing I thought they had a, a weakness at um, was receiver. They go out and get Matt Landers who I think had uh, what I like to call kind of a rehab year at Toledo. Um, you know, he could never find his footing at Georgia, can never stay consistent. Uh, not only was he have a problem staying healthy, but also he just was a guy who had, a, who had a, you know, a case of the drops. He's goes to Toledo. It's clearly the guy has a really solid year there uh, being just, you know, like I said, being the guy there at Toledo. Um, and I think he's going to come back and, and do really good things. Uh, I loved what, Jay, you know, I love Jaden Hazelwood. I also thought that he was somebody who, you know, due to injuries, just couldn't find his footing at Oklahoma uh, consistently. Uh, but the talent is still there, uh, you know, and that's a major key for them is that they needed more talent on the outside. Even if those guys don't hit the ground like sprinting, if they hit the ground, you know, you know, jogging, they'll be fine. They they did not have as much talent on the outside than they needed to last year. And it, and it, and it reared its ugly heads when they had to play really good defenses. And you saw it in games against Georgia and things of that nature when essentially teams were putting seven and eight in the box because they knew, you know, they knew Arkansas wasn't going to be able to run the football. Um, you know, so that's a, a huge key for me in the game that they lost last year. Um, and this is something that I'm looking forward to is their defense has to be a little bit better and, and genuinely a little bit better defense last year. And this team finishes with 10 wins. Uh, they would have beat, you know, they would be Ole Miss if they could have got a stop. They lost that game 52 51 and they would be Alabama last year. If they could get a stop. They lost that game 42 35. So I, when, when I look at this team, I see a team that can win in multiple ways. I see a team that can grind it out, you know, against an Auburn. 
um, if, if need be. I also see a team that against an Ole Miss can go for a shootout and has more talent and more of a collection of talent than they had last year on the outside. So it should be it should be easier to do so. Uh, and also KJ Jefferson with another year in that system should be better as a you know throwing the football. I love the addition of Drew Sanders. I think this guy might be all SEC. To be perfectly honest with you, I thought he was just unfortunately buried behind some really good guys at Alabama. Uh, you know, that that's kind of just an unfortunate real, uh, reality for a lot of kids who go there. But there's a reason why he was a bona fide five star. Um, there's a reason why every guy, every team in the country wanted Drew Sanders. Uh, so I think this is a guy who is the ground running. I think, he, you know, he's going to be a 90 plus tackle guy. That's just kind of the player he was. Uh, Nick Saban, even though he didn't play him as much, still spoke super high of Drew on a consistent basis. Uh, so I think he's a guy who is the ground. It's exceptionally well. Nick alluded to it. Jalen Catalan is a guy who I think comes back from injury and has a really good year. Uh, Latavius Brini, which is a, a transfer from Georgia. Again, I think he was somebody who was just buried behind some better guys at, at UGA, but made plays when he was in the game. So I think when you look at this team, I think they build on what they did last year. Uh, I think they still finish with somewhere around nine wins. Um, so I'm going to go over seven and a half. So I think they get to eight wins minimum. And really, the only only part of the schedule I'm genuinely worried about is the A&M to BYU run. And I just, that's just because if you lose the A&M and Alabama back-to-back, will you be able – will they be able to write the ship? You know, they, they didn't have to go to Starkville. They didn't have to go to Provo, which is never an easy game. Ask USC how hard it is to go to BYU no matter how talented you are. So if they lose to A&M and, and Alabama – Will they end up reeling and losing those two games back-to-back? That would be very troublesome for them because then they'd have to go perfectly down the stretch. However, if they can bounce back from what will probably be a loss to Alabama then you know, and beat Mississippi State and BYU in that stretch, I think they'll be perfectly fine. Um, like I said, I love K.J. Jefferson. I love the, the ability for them to either play. They can play slow and they can play fast when you have a quarterback like him um, at the helm who I think will be a, very, a, a much you know. A, a, a much better passer this year than he was last year. Uh, so I'm, like I said, I'm very high on Arkansas going into this year. Um, Sam Pittman is going to have that offensive line ready to go as obviously he's one of the best, if not the best offensive line coach in college football. Uh, I think this is a team that learned from its, you know, from, from its downfall last year after losing to Georgia, not being able to bounce back uh, from being ranked so highly, kind of just plummeting into the abyss before finally catching themselves a little bit. Uh, I think ultimately this is a team that we, we see once again uh, as a team to talk about, you know, come November um, and, and December about having another good year back to back. All right, let's go over to team number 24 here, which is Wisconsin. Wisconsin fought through an uncharacteristic one and three start before turning it on to win seven straight after a loss to rival Minnesota. Uh, in the finale, the Badgers beat Arizona State in the Las Vegas Bowl to finish nine and four last season. Their DK win total is eight and a half. Uh, we have them at eight and four, so just slightly under that eight and a half. Nick for Wisconsin, uh, they appear to be the favorite in the Big Ten West, but they also have some road trips uh, against some East foes like Ohio State and Michigan State. Can the Badgers get to Indianapolis and give the Buckeyes a test in the Big Ten? I I think I think they can. I mean, I I, I do think that Wisconsin is the team to beat in. The Big Ten West. Um, a big reason for that is their defense, and if you know you're going to have a chance to beat uh, who at least you know on paper what looks like the best offense in the country heading into this year, um, you better have one of the the very best defenses. And Wisconsin 
has played at that elite level uh, in recent years. And you know, team performance uh, wise, they rank number two overall defensively, number two against the run, and number nine against the pass. So um, Ohio State. They'll certainly uh, have an opportunity to see how they match up. Open Big Ten play in Columbus September 24th after what um, should be uh, a, a 3-0 start. That Washington State home game uh, September 10th being the you know the the only real question mark, depending on uh, you know how good uh, Cam Ward looks there for the Cougars, but. Um, getting all three games at home and, and then, you know, you would expect that'll be a matchup of top 15, maybe top 10 teams in Columbus on, on September 24th. So Wisconsin will have an opportunity to, uh, you know, play that game. They will certainly be a heavy underdog. I mean, Ohio State is um, one of the top two teams in the country and just about everybody's, uh, you know, ratings or opinion. And uh, it, it always sort of helps to um, get a, uh, an opportunity to play a team a second time. Um, it's difficult to beat somebody twice. Certainly it's, it's not impossible, but, uh, Wisconsin will learn some things that, that hopefully they'll be able to, uh, apply if they're able to, to, you know, make it through, um, the rest of their conference schedule and, and get, uh, a second crack at what we expect will be Ohio State um, is our our favorite in the East, uh, certainly. But we've got Wisconsin favored in every other regular season game. They are uh, more than a two touchdown underdog at Ohio State, according to our projections. But even though there are a couple of uh, real toss ups, including the trip to East Lansing to play Michigan State, so another tough uh, division, uh, you know, crossover matchup. Wisconsin definitely. Um, got one of the tougher draws out of the East this year, but um, you know we do have them favored at Nebraska. They're less than an, a one-point favorite in that game, but still, you know, we we would expect uh, Wisconsin to win that game more often than not. The trip to Iowa is tough. Uh, Purdue is always a tricky opponent, um, and they've had some trouble with Minnesota recently. You know, as you mentioned last year, they lost that game, but uh, Wisconsin. At least on paper, uh, the way things stack up right now, it looks like a you know a team very capable of winning ten games. I, I know that our projections uh, fall under, and and you know we talked at the very beginning of this uh, preview series when we were the you know talking about the the bottom twenty five teams, and it seemed like we were over every single time. Well, we're seeing a little bit of the reverse of that. This section is actually not as bad as, as maybe the next, uh, you know, show will will do. But you know, just things have a way. Once you get toward the the top, um, it's really really difficult to to win ten games. So even though we do have Wisconsin favored in eleven, we have the uh, you know the stats only model separately has them favored in eleven. Talent edge, you know, only comes in at eight. And there are certainly some matchups where um, Wisconsin just doesn't quite have the pure talent, you know, recruiting rating standpoint uh, to stack up in, in, you know, the Ohio State game. Um, actually, I misspoke. They are they uh, have challenges in, in nine. But uh, this is a team that 
usually uh, the the returning production piece doesn't impact Wisconsin. At least you know, in my mind, it, it seems like they are able to just stay consistent regardless of whether or not uh, they have a, a real veteran offensive line or a um, you know a lot of pieces to replace defensively. And I, I of course mentioned this could be or you know coming off a season where they were an elite defense to do that. There's going to be a lot of new faces taking on big roles. Wisconsin ranked 117th in defensive returning production actually has to replace more than half uh, over 55%. In fact, of its returning production, uh, according to our calculations, but um, there are some really good, good players back Keanu Benton, all-conference uh, interior defensive lineman, Isaiah Mullins, returning starter up front. That top 25-level defensive line you would expect should still be a team strength. Nick Herbig, one of the most productive linebackers in college football last year. Um, he's the only one returning starter of, of that you know four-man unit, um, but... Wisconsin has a, a pretty good track record. I, I, I expect they'll be able to get that group back and ready to play. I do have some questions on the back end. Um, Wisconsin probably will have multiple transfer starters. Uh, they do have to replace you know, all of their full-time starters in the secondary from last year's unit, but Again, they they they're one of those teams. You know, I, I talk plenty, and there'll be a few um, that we discuss today where I say I just it's a team I I really really struggle to trust. Wisconsin has sort of earned my trust, and and I know that um, we've talked plenty about how maybe at the quarterback position we don't necessarily trust Graham Mertz, we don't necessarily trust their passing game, but I think defensively. Uh, the the Badgers have have earned the benefit of the doubt for me, so I'm going to I'm going to think that they're going to take care of business more often than not. Certainly, sometimes they start slow. Certainly, they're going to be at a, a major talent disadvantage against Ohio State, and uh, you know, not a not having a huge talent advantage very often themselves. But this is a good team, and and though it is an experience, especially on defense, uh, I do think they're the team to beat in the West. Um, and I do think they've got a shot to uh, certainly, you know, be in that nine, 10 win range. I, I kind of wish we were on the over quite honestly with Wisconsin. Um, I know that the, the experience piece is, is a big reason why we came up just short, but I, I kind of trust Wisconsin to win the games it's supposed to win. And that includes some of these coin flips where they are literally, you know, 50, 52 percent uh, projected win percentage. I, I do think that they they have proven um, that they can win those type of games consistently. So uh, I, I think that we probably will see um, that Wisconsin Ohio State rematch in Indianapolis. Uh, what do you think, Xavier? You know, Nick talked about uh, the trustability that Wisconsin has, and they have really earned most people's trust, even though I know you're not the biggest fan of their QB. What do you think the Badgers can do this year? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and, and I hate to be that guy that, that sticks with my guns here, but until Graham Mertz takes that next step, this, this team is going to, for some, is going to just quietly sit behind everybody else. 
uh, of the top in that Big Ten. Uh, when it comes to Ohio State, you know, that's a game for me that if Graham Mertz has shown me more in, in his time there, I'd be ecstatic for it. But as of right now, it's probably going to be an Ohio State drumming. You know, I just feel like that Wisconsin defense shows you every year they can hold on just long enough, but not enough to win you the big games. And that's the unfortunate part about the situation so far is I'm just I'm really looking forward to seeing if Grammers can make that next step. I don't know how many times on this podcast I have to say, well, this kid was a five-star. That hasn't meant anything up to, up to this point, right? And for me, if he takes that next step, this is a kid who could honestly rewrite his you know, his draft ability because at this point it's in, the, it's in the basement. But if he has a really good year and, and uh, excuse me, Wisconsin's able to run the table, there's no reason as to why this isn't a guy who come to draft is, is thought of, a, of even a high second round draft pick possible, right? You know, I, I love their schedule. I, I absolutely agree with Nick. I feel like their schedule is very manageable. They only get two games, in, in my opinion, that they should even be considered underdogs. Um, and that's at Ohio State and at you know at Michigan State. Both of those uh, being on the road is obviously going to be going to be tough, but. I do give them a, a slight advantage against Michigan State if Graham Mertz comes to play. You know, at this point, that game is going to be about whatever quarterback wants to play, wants to step up between Thorne and, and Mertz. Um, you know, the other thing with Wisconsin, and you know, this is something that they've had a problem with over the last couple of years, and it's starting slow. You know, we all watched that absolute snooze fest uh, last year when they played Penn State Week One, where it seemed like nobody wanted to win that game, um, and they started off the year that you know, off the year one and three. If they can start fast and then in a non-conference schedule this year lends itself to doing stuff, doing so, excuse me, then they give themselves a really good chance at the very least to roll to, to win nine games minimum. You know, I think there's a team that wins double digits uh, that has double digit wins this year. I um, mean, it'll only be a fault of their own if they don't. Uh, they only play, like I said, they only get Ohio State and Michigan State. Those are only two games I genuinely feel like they could possibly lose. Uh, obviously, I'm going to have to give a little bit of credit to Purdue being a trap game because Purdue is always a trap game. Um, and possibly Iowa at the end of the year at Kinnick Stadium. Other than that, like I said, this is a team that should go over. Um, even and, and the crazy part is they've been really good in spite of Mertz. You look at his numbers last year, 2,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. I don't think there's another you know another school in college football that won nine games last year with the quarterback having similar numbers. And if there is, somebody please point me in that direction because Graham Mertz has been pretty, you know, at below average in his play, and the team has rallied around and stayed able to win ball games. So if he can find himself an above average to good game this year on a consistent basis, the sky's the limit for Wisconsin, and it has been since he got there. Uh, and we and we've talked about this pretty much every year. With them. their defense is always going to come out to play. Their running game is always going to be a large part of their offense. And if Graham Mertz can just be good enough, right? Sixteen touchdowns, seven interceptions, twenty-seven hundred yards. Wisconsin will finish eleven and one. And I think that it's really that simple for Graham Mertz this year. He doesn't have to be Superman. He just has to be a nice little sidekick to everything else they've got going on there at Wisconsin. That's all he has to do. Um, and no I, Batman, just Robin. He really? just has I mean, to be Robin. You know, yeah, realistically, he just has to be, you know, the, the, the game manager of all game managers. And that's it, you know, for, the, for them to realistically get back to the Big Ten Championship game, win 10-plus games, and find themselves as probably a top seven or eight team in the country with a genuine shot to make the playoff if they win the Big Ten Championship game. And that's the formula for Wisconsin this year. I think they can do it. I think Graham Mertz has figured some things out last year. I do think he did to uh, to an extent down the stretch of last year. He kind of he played a lot better down the stretch. Uh, you know, uh, some of his better games, obviously against Rutgers, Northwestern, Nebraska, um, and then obviously in the bowl game he was okay. If he can if he can continue to play that way, he'll be perfectly fine. 
Um, and once again, Wisconsin, like I said, as a unit outside of Grand Merch, has been pretty dang good over the last couple of years. So I'm going to pick the over with them. I think this is a team that wins nine-plus games and finds itself in conversation for the Big Ten Championship game again. All right, let's go over to number 23, Kentucky. And Nick, Kentucky raced out to a 6-0 start and rose to number 11 in the polls before hitting a midseason bump. But the Wildcats won four in a row and beat Iowa in the Citrus Bowl to finish 10-3. and DK has got their win total for 2022 at 8. We have them at 7-5, and five, so we are under the 8. And Nick, for Kentucky, Wildcats have narrowed the gap in the SEC East over the recent years with Florida in transition and Georgia losing a ton of production can Kentucky make a realistic run at a division title in the SEC this year? I think it's possible, but it's it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, a lot of, probably a lot of what I said about Arkansas, I could uh, apply to Kentucky. The schedule isn't quite at the high end, um, but it's tougher than it was last year. I mean, last year we talked about Kentucky. One of the reasons we were as high on them as we were uh, was they had one of the uh, lowest ranked schedules among uh, Power 5 teams. This year, still not a top 25 schedule, but 33rd, and there are, um, you know, obviously the, the game against Georgia is going to be very difficult they do get that game at home um and and you know we mentioned in our last show that i i thought that that mississippi state game might be a little bit of a trap for georgia as they were looking ahead to kentucky and you know if they're able to survive i, I still think that that kentucky uh matchup will be will be tough um for georgia i you know I, I think that there is a pretty uh, sizable talent gap. And according to our, you know, talent edge projections, it's it's actually not that big. Three and a half points is what we um, calculate that point spread based only on talent numbers. But that does include a, a two and a half point bump for home field advantage for Kentucky. Um, but, I mean, yeah, the, the gap isn't huge and even though we have florida uh ranked slightly higher in our uh power rankings a lot of people you know are of the opinion that that kentucky is the second best team in the east and it's hard for me to to really argue with them if kentucky is able to play full strength and and uh they've done a pretty good job they are one of those teams that is uh for the most part kind of earned the benefit of the doubt from me. Um, but similar to Wisconsin, you know, the, the just pure talent numbers aren't quite there. And there are just a couple of, um, you know, little issues. One of which is Christopher Rodriguez, who's, uh, I mean, good enough certainly to be um, an all SEC running back. I know in a lot of ways uh, he is graded out as um, one of the better uh, running backs in the SEC in recent years. I mean, certainly he's been highly productive, but, um, you know, I, I know that uh, there's a, a person who does a really, really good job breaking down SEC football just in general, SEC StatCat on, on Twitter um, for years, last couple of years, has, has just really, really been uh, out front saying that, that Chris Rodriguez, uh, you know, in his film study and, and a lot of the numbers that he tracks just consistently grades out uh, 
at or among the very best running backs in, in the SEC. Unfortunately, Rodriguez, is, it sounds like it's going to be out somewhere between three and four games because of a couple of off the field issues this this uh, off season. So um, they were able to bring in a, a pretty talented transfer, uh, Ramon Jefferson from Sam Houston, who had uh, at one point committed to Colorado. Would expect that he's certainly going to have an opportunity to uh, get some carries early in the year. And, you know, once Rodriguez is back, pretty solid one-two combo. But Kentucky also has uh, Jatan McLean and Cavassier Smoke back and, and Lavelle Wright. So it's a, a talented group. They're going to be able to run the football, um, you know, unless you just completely haven't paid any attention to, to college football news in the offseason. I'm sure you've heard there's been a ton of buzz about Will Levis, not just for you know some of the weird things he consumes, but uh, did you know he puts mayo in his coffee, Nick? I'm not sure if anyone that. had told I, you that. I saw something about that, uh, but also I've seen a lot of you know first round mock draft uh, spots for for Will Levis. So um, we'll see. I mean that that's interesting to me. I know he's certainly certainly a gifted. Uh, player um, had a really really solid year last year. Now has a full year as a starter under his belt. Um, we'll have to you know find a, a favorite playmaker now that Wondell Robinson is is in the NFL. Um, also won't you know have two uh, NFL draft picks on the offensive line and and three uh, full time starters departed after last year and and that unit ranked number four in O-line performance. So it, it's not a foregone conclusion uh, that, uh, you know, Levis and, and, you know, even the Kentucky running game is, is going to be able to operate at quite the high level that they were. I do like Tavion Robinson, the transfer from uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, not sure he's Wandell Robinson, but do think that he's going to have an opportunity to make some more plays at Kentucky, maybe than he, uh, than we saw from him at Virginia tech the last few years. Um, I've heard some glowing things about a couple of freshmen that Kentucky was able to, to bring in, including Dane key, who it sounds like is already a starter. Um, so certainly a name to know if, if you don't already, Isaiah Cummings is a really intriguing. I mean, I love big, wide receivers who basically are just sort of forced to, to play tight end. He's listed as a tight end now. Um, so they're able to, to do some creative things to get, you know, him involved as well as Brandon Bates, who's, who's their, uh, um, you know, top returner at tight end played over 400 snaps last year. And the offensive line is, is not quite at Wisconsin levels, but at this point, Kentucky has consistently, uh, put together solid offensive lines. There's a little bit of a concern because they have uh, not only a new offensive line coach, but a new offensive coordinator. Um, nevertheless, I think that um, Kentucky is going to be in a, a pretty good spot offensively, and and then you know defensively, they are they are quite consistent. So um, the Experience, you know, similarly, a uh, little bit 
of uh, work to do as far as replacing some highly productive guys. They rank 52nd in defensive returning production, uh, 79th on offense. But the uh, pass rush should be good. Linebacker should be a strength. DeAndre Square, Jack West Jones were both returning starters. They play a lot of guys uh, off the edge. So J.J. Weaver and Jordan Wright, who look like the projected edge guys right now, they weren't starters, but they were uh, very experienced. Weaver, you know, really had the best season of anybody uh, returning on on defense for Kentucky this year. A little bit of, a, of, of concern experience-wise in the back end. They're another team that's going to have to reply, or, or excuse me, rely on um, at least one starter in the secondary who's a transfer, and, and that could be two. Uh, Kedron Smith is... is Sounds like penciled in to start at corner opposite Carrington Valentine. And then Zion Childress is probably going to be in the mix. Uh, pardon me. Pardon me. Uh, probably will be in the mix at safety. Uh, Childress will be. So uh, Kentucky is, is you know, our numbers don't have them as the second best team in the East. Um, our numbers have had a little bit of a, uh, I, I think, a pretty strong track record actually we were high on them last year they had a good year we were low on them in 2020 and and they uh disappointed a lot of people's preseason expectations we're i don't think um i don't think we have like uh, that sort of high or low uh level of expectation compared to most some folks it seems like the the prediction's getting maybe a, a little bit out of hand, I saw someone on the SEC Network uh, project. I think it was was it Chris Doran who did it. Uh, projected them to to be eleven and one. That seems uh, that that to me would be a the surprise. Kentucky Wildcats. <laughs> that to me would be a surprise. Yes, um, you know, and 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 our our projection is not obviously we're under the eight, as you said. But we're right there at seven and a half. I mean, it, it almost, you know, rounds up uh, to eight regular season wins. And, and we've just got uh, some real toss ups. We got we have Kentucky as a slight underdog at Florida, which, you know, maybe not a lot of people agree with uh, because Florida's got so much in, in transition. Um, we have them as a slight underdog at Ole Miss. Uh, we have them as a uh, you know, slight underdog, less than a, a touchdown at Tennessee um, on the road. Those are all three going to be tough games, but they are certainly all winnable games. Um, it's just, you know, they're they're kind of similar to Arkansas, um, as I mentioned at the start. They're going to have to navigate and, and win a lot of coin flips to put together that 9-10 type win season. And um, just the way the numbers shake out in our projections – um, you know, we, we count coin flips is close to 50, 50. And, and, uh, so they have a way of evening out. Certainly teams are able to, um, you know, find ways to win close games or find ways to lose close games. So it, it might not work out quite that way. Um, but we think Kentucky is going to be a, a, you know, really tough team to beat and seven, eight wins, shouldn't be seen as a major disappointment. Uh, but if a few things line up, you know, uh, 
they get a couple of bounces. Um, the skill position issues work themselves out. The offensive line really does continue to play at an elite level. Then sure, you know, 10 wins is possible. Xavier, I mean, uh, 11, 10 wins, you know, Kentucky's very improved uh, and they have a great quarterback and right. uh, it looks good for them this year. Are they already up in that level? No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, this isn't Kentucky basketball. We're not talking about them competing for titles anytime soon. Uh, but I do think this should be the second best team in the SEC East. They should compete alongside Florida and Tennessee as the, as the second best. You know, if Will Levis really does hit that second gear this year and becomes one of the better quarterbacks in the country, all bets are off, right? Especially with the turnover that I believe that Florida's having right now, I don't see them having the same kind of, you know, competition in that game, particularly uh, Tennessee. Now that game was going to be really fun. Not only is it at Neyland, uh, but Kentucky's coming off of a bye week before that game. Um, so that should be extremely exciting for Kentucky as they're going to have to, ha- they're going to use multiple weeks to prepare for that offense. Um, I also wonder if playing Mississippi State before that game is going to help them out understanding the spread concept that Mike Leach likes to run. Uh, but no, I, I really do enjoy Kentucky. Uh, Nick took the words right out of my mouth when talking about their running back system. Um, yes, I understand that they have, you know, that they'll be missing uh, Chris for a while, uh, for a little while. However, the, the other piece about that is that their running game is just a, a, a platoon swap at this point. Their running game has been really good for a couple of years now. Um, you know, they've got one of my favorite players in the country, Cabassier Smoke. You know, I, I just really like this team as far as offensively is concerned. I, I feel, do think Will Levis is going to have to do a little heavy lifting on the outside. He's going to have to throw guys open a little bit more than maybe, you know, uh, maybe uh, uh, a guy like KJ Jefferson will at Arkansas with the kind of talent he has on the outside. But if Will Levis is really that guy uh, that everybody thinks he is or everybody, you know, sees him becoming this year, then he should be able to make some of those, uh, some, some of those tougher throws. Uh, the only the only downside to this team, and, and this is something that they have struggled with, and I think they will struggle with, was losing a guy like Josh Pascal, is how well they'll get to the uh, get to the the quarterback this year. Uh, they're rather young up front as well, um, and I, I just think that they're going to struggle a little bit in games. And will that lend itself to them having to win more shootouts? Once again, if Will Levis is really that guy, then they will have no problem with that. But last year they had a really good balance of being able to win ugly games and also, you know, compete in shootouts. You know, you just look at, uh, you know, your first, their first half of the season, all of which uh, were pretty much, you know, uh, you know, you know, nip and tuck games, you know, where they had to win games late or they were one possession ball games where the defense had to step up up until the LSU and Georgia games in mid to late August. So you really look at what their defense will be able to do this year. I think they're going to have to do a lot of possessions. There's going to be some games in there where they're going to have to have, you know, 35, 36 minutes of possession for them to win these games. With Chris Rodriguez, it's a lot easier to do than without. So that's going to be a bit of a struggle for them, I think. Um, that's the only downside I have to them against playing uh, when they play Florida. Although, like I said, I think Florida's in too much transition right now for me to have them as an underdog going into Ben Hill Griffin. I understand the the history of that ball game. I understand that, you know, Florida has not lost to Kentucky in consecutive years. It's been a while, um, and they don't lose to Kentucky. That's kind of Florida's thing. They don't lose to Kentucky, quote unquote. Um, so, if, but if they're able to navigate the Kentucky, uh, the Florida game, and if they're able to win, you know, the, their first four matchups, this is a team that I think can really compete at a high level. 
Um, at Ole Miss is obviously another one that you circle, and then at Tennessee and then Georgia Louisville to finish the year off. Their schedule is very much manageable, in my opinion. Uh, they get their games kind of isolated around some more easier contests, which I think will end up helping them out, um, especially that they get Chris Rodriguez. Nick, you said the first four games, correct? So they'll get Chris Rodriguez for the Ole Miss matchup in week five. So nothing is official, um, but he had a he had a legal issue, and there's this like there's this super secret other thing that <laughs> there, there are rumors out there. I'm you know I'm sure you can find, but um, uh, I believe his name is Matt Jones. Really uh, uh, clued in there, one of their okay. one of their top. Um, uh, I believe he's a radio personality, but but one of the top Kentucky news gatherers and, and insiders um, tweeted on Friday, I believe, that that his best um, sort of educated guess on it was three to four games. So okay. there was some thought earlier last week um, that maybe they would just do the opener and he would be back for Florida, uh, but then... Jones followed up and, and said that all all signs right now are pointing toward uh, three to four. So it sounds like even, uh, you know, on the high end, yeah, he, he would be back for Ole Miss. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, if he's back for that game, I, I really think – and once again, that's purely contingent on what Ole Miss's offense looks like at that point in the quarterback situation. Uh, but I, I do really like Kentucky going into this year. I feel like I've been bullish on Kentucky the last two seasons – um, I just like what Mark Stoops does there. I think he is able to do a ton with not a lot of quote unquote traditional talent. You know, Kentucky isn't laden with a bunch of four and five star kids. He's a really good developer. Um, and, and he and he gets high end production out of kids who were not considered high end players coming out of high school. That's the best way I can put it. Uh, I think they go over their eight win total, uh, projected win total. Excuse me. I think this is a team that can win nine games. I don't think the rest of the SEC East has caught up to. Uh, has caught up, excuse me, to Kentucky just yet. Uh, maybe a year from now, now you're looking at a Florida, maybe you're looking at a South Carolina, maybe you're looking bona fide at a, tenants, uh, at a Tennessee, and the old powers have risen back to where they were at one point. But I think this year for one more season, Kentucky should be outright that second-best team in the SEC East unless things go completely awry, like Will Levis having a really, really bad year. All right, let's go over to the next squad up. Number 22 is Auburn. Auburn opened the Brian uh, Hartson era with a 6-2 and two start, but five straight losses after that, including an overtime heartbreaker to Alabama and a Birmingham Bowl loss to Houston meant the Tigers finished on the wrong side of 500 last year. Six and a half is their DK win total. We have them at seven and five, so officially over the six and a half, but Nick, you know, Hartson enters this season on arguably the hottest seat in the country, and the Tigers face the number three toughest schedule in FBS. To put a positive spin on it, how can Auburn surprise us this year? I think the the biggest way that Auburn is going to surprise us is if uh, defensively, Auburn, which was a top 20 defense in our defensive team performance numbers, if this is one of the top five defenses in the country, which I don't think is a crazy, you know, possibility, I, I, I it would certainly be on the high end of our projections. Um, but, uh, you know, Auburn was a top 20 unit last year and their best player missed a significant portion of it. Owen Popo, um, linebacker only played 200 snaps, missed a, a big chunk 
of uh, the second half of the season. Um, and, you know, he's a, a potential difference maker. I mean, you know, linebacker um, as a as a group doesn't quite have the, the um, I don't know, pizzazz of, you know, edge rushers and, and things like that. But, I mean, he's the type of guy that they can move around and, and do some um, – you know, interesting things with, but a uh, former five-star guy has started every game that he's played in uh, the last three years, came back for uh, his senior year, hopefully be able to put together a uh, healthy season and playing behind what should be, you know, quite honestly, one of the best defensive lines in the country. They rank 11th in our uh, unit rankings, but Derek Hall, all SEC edge rusher, um, max rated player like Popo, Colby Wooden, interior defensive lineman, max rated player like Popo. Both of those guys had double digit production points last year. Uh, Marcus Harris is also back up front, and there's some depth there. Even though Auburn, you know, they made made some news over the off season because it's like half a dozen defensive linemen entered the transfer portal, but they still have uh, talented guys. I mean, they they've got former four and, and five-star guys um, on that defensive line coming back. They added some transfers themselves, uh, three experienced players. Morris Joseph, um, you know, transferred in, uh, has has been limited at times, and, and last year uh, didn't quite play as well as he had in, in previous years at Memphis. Um, but uh, Jason Jones, uh, transfer from Oregon, one of two, transfers from Oregon on the defense that could factor in as, uh, if not starters, you know, major contributors, uh, DJ Jones at corner being the other. And then Marcus Brack is, uh, you know, played 400 snaps at, at Western Kentucky, uh, probably just a, a depth piece, but, but should help provide some depth. And then at linebacker, a, a pretty interesting name uh, to me uh, as a transfer coming in, Eugene Asante, uh, from North Carolina, who uh, really impressed a, a couple of years ago in the bowl game, um, was limited last year with injury. But uh, he and, and Popo and Wesley Steiner, Steiner, excuse me, even though that's not the, the most experienced group coming back, um, I think that there's a lot of potential in that linebacker unit to where, you know, it might look like a little bit of a weak spot on paper, uh, but it's a top 20 group in our unit rating. So if, if their defense, if Auburn's defense really, you know, takes the next step from not, you know, from, from a top 20 team in defensive team performance to a top five, um, then Auburn really could surprise. Uh, if they get good quarterback play, that's obviously, you know, most people would point to that as, as kind of the, the easy um, first thing there. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. It, it seems like um, it's a, at least a two-man race and, and maybe even a three-man race still. TJ Finley, even though he had a, a legal issue a couple of weeks ago, sounds like he's very much in the mix to start. Sounds like in the last week or so, um, coming off of a huge spring, when I, I believe he was the MVP of the spring game, uh, Robbie Ashford has is, is really emerged as a legitimate threat to TJ Finley. And then Zach Calzada, who uh, is the most experienced of the three has double digit starts under his belt after uh, being the starter at, at, at Texas A&M 
in the last 10 games last year. And by the way, we forget maybe uh, has a win over Alabama and on his resume. So um, sounds like he's kind of, as we speak on, on Sunday evening uh, running third in that race, but uh, all three of those guys, it sounds like will, will still be a factor. If one emerges and solidifies that position, I'm not saying any of them are, are going to be all SEC caliber players or, or you know Heisman candidates, but if they don't make uh, mistakes and, and you know, or at least the the boneheaded mistakes that that we sometimes see, um, then you know the running game should be good. Tank Bigsby. Uh, former four, uh, former five star didn't quite have the huge year last year that some expected. Jarquez Hunter, it seemed, ate into his playing time a little bit. Um, but as a duo, those two should be quite good. Uh, the depth at running back, Auburn is is you know got some uh, they, they they should be fine. They've got ball carriers on the roster. Um, John Samuel Shanker really emerged last year, kind of broke free, broke out as, as a tight end. Uh, the receiver group is, uh, you know, Auburn receivers haven't had the, the huge uh, production numbers recently, but Cedric Jackson had a, had a pretty solid year last year. Enters is the likely go-to guy, but Coy Moore, transfer from LSU, has been getting a lot of uh, – you know, headlines and, 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 you know, since the spring uh, and, and in the summer, he might emerge as sort of that, that second best option right now. We don't have him penciled in as a starter. Uh, Malcolm Johnson Jr. And Javarius Johnson have those spots, but it sounds like more if he isn't already there probably will be soon. So, um, you know, even though that position is inexperienced, still should be a, a decent group, a talented group. The offensive line has been hit or miss. They were pretty mediocre last year, ranked 64 in O-line performance. But four starters return, uh, a lot of experienced uh, players return. Uh, looks like Killian Zier is is the expected left tackle coming in to replace Bradarius Ham, who's a, an undrafted free agent, uh, the lone starter, full-time starter, um, missing, but Alec Jackson is uh, a guy who's played a lot of football. He's kind of that sixth guy, uh, might still have an opportunity to start at one of the tackle spots. So I, I think that Auburn is a team, they might not have the uh, superstar anywhere on the roster. I mean, even Tank Bigsby, you know, quite hasn't quite been a superstar player yet, but to my eyes and, and to our you know roster numbers and, and unit ratings, even quarterback, which is is certainly the shakiest position, um, not only because it's kind of unclear who will start and and you know even the way we uh, calculate the the strength of that unit is 81st nationally, 12th in the SEC, but even there they've got multiple you know decent options. Um, there seems like there's not a major weak spot. Sure, there's questions at quarterback, there's questions at receiver, there's some experience uh, issues, you know, have to replace a second round draft pick at corner. Um, but there's there's not a, a position, at least to me, where I just think Auburn's really in trouble. 
And certainly some some folks, and, and maybe Xavier will do this, make the argument that quarterback really is a a major, major um concern and and you know possibly to the point where it's just obviously going to hold them back i'm not so sure that i i buy into that i i think that somebody on the roster is competent enough um that auburn you know will be uh competitive offensively they they probably aren't going to have a huge explosive offense but i think they'll be competitive and, and if that defense is elite and it's certainly no foregone conclusion, but um, I think there's a scenario or two where Auburn uh, could surprise some folks. And we are on the over, over uh, six and a half. It's it's not by much, um, but I think that's where I want to be. It's, it's a little bit different situation for me than my feelings where we were on Arizona State. Um because both, even though it's it's different why the coaches are, are on the hot seat, um, it kind of both has that feel of everybody is just down on both teams. And I'm a little less uh, I'm a little less sure that Auburn is going to just quit. I, I could see uh, that happening at, at Arizona State. and it might happen at Auburn too. but I just I, I think that, it, it's just less likely. And so I think that this Auburn team, um, it seems like people are overreacting to some of this stuff, in my opinion. So I think they'll be competitive. I think they're talented. I think this defense really, really could be very, very good. So getting back to a bowl, certainly possible. And I think a winning record, seven wins, or, or you know, maybe they squeak out one or two upsets along the way we've got them as less than a two-point underdog against mississippi state against lsu uh less than uh, a field goal against ole miss uh those are winnable games so i think auburn will have a lot of close games and and a lot of toss-ups um very tough schedule and certainly some off the field issues that could make an impact but i i think that that you know auburn's just not dead yet i i think um Seven wins is is a very very reasonable expectation. Xavier, I know you've said you're down on Auburn. How how far down on Auburn are you? Uh, are they going to make a bowl? I mean, uh, how low can they go with this tough schedule? Yeah, I think they're going to be relatively around where they were last season. Um, I'm picking the under with Auburn going into this year. I think they finished six and six again. Um, I think this was a team that last year. To an extent, I won't say that they quit, but they kind of did down the stretch of last year's season. Uh, you know, after Bo Nix got hurt, they they kind of just gave up. They they don't, they didn't believe in TJ Finley. Can't really blame them. I disagree. They took Alabama to overtime. Yeah, but we all know that's more juju than that's it is. Not good. A, but that's not quitting. I mean, yeah, if you but they quit, also, then you get blown out fifty to nothing. I mean, they, yeah, they that, should have but, won that game. But but you also lose in Mississippi State. You also lose at South Carolina to a team last year in South Carolina that had no business beating you whatsoever, in my opinion, down the stretch of that year. I, I don't believe that this offense has figured itself out under Harson yet. I think there's still going to be a ton of uh, trying to figure itself out. And more importantly, when you look at when they were winning last year, it, it wasn't duly impressive. They beat an under, they beat a very underwhelming LSU team by the hair on their chins. Uh, their most impressive win last year is probably at Arkansas last year. 
Uh, but we just talked about how they started reeling and then found themselves three weeks later. Uh, they barely beat Georgia State last season. And, and you know, I, I just can't sit here and also, you know, and then they lose to Houston, which I think Houston was a better ball club at that point anyways. But you, I, I can't sit here and say that Auburn has figured something out. I, I think their offense is going to be re- 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 relatively pedestrian, especially if T.J. Finley is the quarterback. I think both quarterbacks have a long way to go. Um, even if you watch a lot of the games in which Bo Nix was great, he was Houdini. Like, Bo Nix last year was doing his best Joe Burrow impressions for 40 minutes, for, you know, 20, 20, 30 minutes of the game last year. Um, and, and you really realize that the reason why Tank Bigsby didn't get going last year is because everybody knew that Tank Bigsby was just getting the ball. And they couldn't run the ball consistently last year whatsoever. Um, and he struggled, in my opinion, to, to, to make to, – to hit, you know, that next step in his, in his career. I feel like last year with 223 carries, this is a guy that we should have been talking about 13, 14, 1500 yards last year. He did hit a grand. So, you know, it wasn't completely terrible. But when you look at the games against, you know, SEC – you know, your upper tier of SEC opponents, I mean, heck, he only rushed for 41 yards against Mississippi State. Wouldn't call them an amazing defense whatsoever. I just felt like when Bo Nix got hurt, this team, especially offensively, was hard to watch. Uh, you know, you look at what Tank Bixby did against anybody that had a post defensively last year, 27 yards against LSU, 28 yards against Georgia, 68 versus Arkansas. Uh, like I said, 41 versus Mississippi State, 69 versus AM, 63 versus Alabama. They couldn't run the football anymore. Um, and it was because I feel like nobody believed that they had any talent on the outside. And I'm not so sure they fixed that in this year. You know, I don't think they went out and got, you know, supreme talent uh, on the outside like an Arkansas did by going out and getting a Jaden Hazelwood. I like Coy Moore. I think he, I think he can add, you know, a bit of, you know, a bit of presence. But this has been a team over the last three years that has just kind of let the receiver position just kind of go barren. Uh, you know, we, we back to the Seth Williams, you know, the Seth Williams days. And he was kind of the only guy that they had in that receiving core outside of Anthony Schwartz. And I just feel like they've struggled to find outside talent, which wasn't always a problem for them, uh, you know, under Gus Malzahn. I just feel like I'm not – I'm really concerned that they won't have an offense outside of Tank Bigsby and Robbie Ashford just running for their lives. That's my biggest issue with this team right now. That's been my biggest issue with Auburn for a while now. Even under Bo Nix, their defense was great. Their offense couldn't muster anything when it mattered. Uh, so when you look at their schedule, you know, they, they, Penn State coming to them, I think that's going to be a, a loss. They have to go to Georgia and to Ole Miss in back-to-back weeks. They could very well lose both of those games. They get a bye weekend, they get Arkansas at home. I think that's a game that Arkansas will be trying to get some get back. And then they probably lose to A&M and, and Auburn. I just think I named five losses in that, in that stretch. So I, I think, you know, Yes, if they get over it, it'll be by the hair on their chins. I can't see that. I'm not comfortable saying that they will do that. So I'm going to go six and six with them. Um, I, I do think that Bo Nick was carrying this team a little bit um, last year, and I, and I think that yeah, like, like I said, and he was going, he was he was going at a really good clip. Don't get me wrong. Had 11 touchdowns, three interceptions at the time of his injury. He was figuring it out a little bit. I don't think Robbie Ashford and T.J. Finley both have uh, you know this offense under the same kind of uh, understanding. Heck. Even in that great run from Bo Nix last year, he got benched in the Georgia State game. So, like, let's not re- forget all of the things that happened with Auburn last year for them just to get to 6-6. Six and six. Uh, So I'm not ready for them, for, for me to say Brian Harson figures it out this year, maybe next season, uh, maybe, you know, with, with another, season, uh, another season under Robbie Ashford's, uh, you know, under Robbie Ashford, if he is the guy that gets the job. 
Maybe if it's Calzada, he also has another, you know, another year or two eligibility as well. TJ Finley uh, has another year himself. So maybe next year they're able to figure it out, the quarterback position. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see four different quarter, or excuse me, three different quarterbacks in the first six to seven weeks of the season. And Auburn's just trying to figure it out while their defense is having to play lights out just for them to stay in the ballgame. All right, let's go over to number 21, Louisville. The cards posted a somewhat disappointing six and seven record uh, that included blowout home losses to UK, uh, to Kentucky, and three losses by uh, three points or less, including a 31 28 loss to Air Force in the first responders bowl. DK has got their win total at six and a half. We have them at seven and five, so over the six and a half. For Louisville, Nick, we seem higher on them than most this preseason. And a big reason why is the Cardinals' defensive roster strength is much higher in its team performance rating. Will that unit improve on the field in 2022? So I'm concerned with uh, the size up front for Louisville. Uh, you know, have to play better, but also I just think that that honestly talent's a little bit of a concern. Uh, I'm intrigued that they were able to bring in uh, Jermaine Lowell, who was a really, really productive interior defensive lineman at Arizona State, missed all of last season with an injury. Uh, but even he is, you know, not the the 330-pound uh, just, just space eater that we see out of a lot of teams that operate out of a three-man base front. And, you know, multiple uh, – excuse me, Louisville is multiple – um, Yasir Abdullah, we have listed as, you know, among the linebackers, but as more of an edge player, uh, can play closer to the line of scrimmage and, and he's got all ACC potential. Um, they brought in another, you know, really highly rated, productive, experienced linebacker, Momo Sonogo, who actually ended up losing, um, kind of his starting job at Ole Miss, but, uh, looks like he's going to be able to come in probably, uh, start and and hopefully recapture some of the uh, you know ability that that he showed a couple of years ago when he sort of blossomed there early with the rebels. Monty uh, Montgomery was injured a, a lot of last year, so um, getting him back will be helpful. It's an experienced linebacker group, um, and you know the the secondary is kind of a double-edged sword a, a little bit um that's probably not the right term i'm looking for here it's 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 they've got some experience chandler jones katril clark uh who missed time at the end of last year but is an all acc caliber corner pretty solid cornerback duo kendrick duncan um wasn't quite as productive uh as a transfer last year but he's an intriguing player also, you know, in his super senior year, like Jones, that's an experienced trio uh, to build around. And then they brought in a lot of transfers. I mean, six uh, defensive backs in our, um, you know, transfer uh, pool. Jalen Alexander, Nakaro Harper, MJ Griffin, uh, all could be in the mix to start at safety. Jarvis Brownlee uh, from Florida State, who was a, you know, starter there. Quincy Riley uh, was a starter at Middle Tennessee. And then Jaden Williams, those three seem to factor in at uh, corner. You know, certainly there could be some movement there, but I would think that they'll be able to, you know, take that influx of talent, mix it with the experienced um, 
returning starters they've got and probably be able to put together a, a pretty decent secondary. So I think the linebacker core is going to be, you know, decent. Uh, the secondary probably going to be, you know, decent, but that, that defensive line is, is what gives me um, that it concerns me. And so if, they are going to struggle to stop the run like they did last year. They ranked 97th in, in uh, rushing defensive team performance. They are just going to have to win some shootouts. And, and certainly we've seen that uh, this offense, which ranked in the top 20 nationally in team performance offensively, uh, top 30, both you know passing and rushing, top 15 rushing actually. Malik Cunningham at quarterback, certainly somebody you can build around. We've seen what he can do on the high end. I mean, that that game against Duke last year was uh, one of the most impressive single game stat lines we've seen uh, in college football, maybe since uh, Lamar Jackson uh, was at Louisville. So uh, the high end there is um, really, really exciting. They are deep at running back. Um, there's some, you know, it, it, they're, they're, we don't know exactly if, if they're going to have one go-to guy or if, uh, Trevion Cooley, Jalen Mitchell, who's the returning starter or Tyon Evans, who's, uh, the incoming transfer from Tennessee. Um, one of those three is, is Louisville in recent, uh, years and under Scott Satterfield is, is usually, uh, kind of leaned on one guy. So it'd be interesting to see if one emerges, but if not, it should be a, a decent rotation, should be an area of strength. Receiver, Marshawn uh, Ford is one of the better tight ends in the ACC. Um, and then the receiver core is, is unproven, but I think that um, there are some really interesting pieces. Uh, a couple of transfers likely to start. D. Wiggins has been sort of a, uh, you know, somebody who's who's had a lot of uh, positive reports this fall. Transfer from Miami. Tyler Hudson, a transfer from the FCS level, has been the most productive in his career. Had a, a really, um, really good career at, at Central Arkansas. So it'll be interesting to see how that translates to uh, the Power Five level. Amari Huggins Bruce had uh, you know at least one one game where he really looked um, really was impressive as a, a freshman last year, but has shown some promise and seems like he's likely to to be the other guy uh, in that starting three. But you know they're going to need more and depth is a little bit of a concern uh, at receiver, um, but you know maybe they'll just sort of line it up behind. Three or excuse me, four returning starters on the offensive line, plus Brian Hudson, who played over 500 snaps, plus Michael Gonzalez, who kind of is the sixth man, uh, played nearly 450. So an experienced offensive line that ranked in the top 50 last year in O-line performance um, with that deep stable of running backs and Malik Cunningham, who can beat you in a variety of ways. Um, maybe Louisville just sort of you know, leans into a little bit more of the uh, power run game. That that would be interesting to see as well. And and perhaps if they do that, you know, play action and, and things like that will open up um, ways for Wiggins and Huggins-Bruce, Hudson and, and Ford to make some big plays in the passing game. So um, it's – Louisville is, is a very intriguing team for me. 
I have had my eye on on them a little closer than some of the others that that we've discussed recently in the offseason because the schedule uh, shakes out in a way uh, somewhat similar to what we talked about last show with Mississippi State. It's a very, very tough schedule, but I just think that Louisville's, they're going to ruin somebody's year. Uh, Will it be NC State? Will it be Clemson? Um, You know, we'd actually do have Louisville slightly favored against NC State since that game is at home. Um, But they're certainly capable of beating Clemson. You know, Wake Forest was in that conversation. Pitt, they host both of those, uh, the two teams that that made it to the ACC championship last year. And we actually have Louisville favored in both of those games. So um, the the flip side of that is we don't have them as as heavy favorites uh, against teams like Virginia, Boston College, Florida State. We have actually have them as an underdog against UCF. Um, you know, we have them as, as less than a field goal, or excuse me, less than a touchdown, but but not much more than a field goal in the opener at Syracuse. So um, the the schedule is is a little weird. Where the front half, there are no, um, you know, big names. They they might not play a ranked team until the bye week. Uh, or excuse me, after the bye week, but uh, you know, six and zero, while possible, is probably not that likely. Um, the they, they they certainly could, but I could see four and two. I could see you know three and three. Uh, but then on the back half, somewhat similarly, you know, they might be by the time these games are getting ready to, to kick off, especially if Sam Hartman is back uh, for Wake Forest. You know, they might be a home underdog in that game. Uh, they might have a tough time with James Madison, who is coming up and, and uh, playing a uh, FBS schedule, but has been an FCS powerhouse. I mean, that, that you know, you could see uh, a team like Louisville and, and sort of their track record. They're one of those teams that occasionally will lose a game that they shouldn't. Um you know, they're, they're, they're a, uh, it, it can go either way. Um, I could see them certainly in the ACC uh, championship game mix, but, you know, as you mentioned at the very beginning, if that defense doesn't take a big step forward, they might also uh, struggle to get bowl eligible. So um, I, I think I lean more toward uh i guess confidence in our over the six and a half uh but you're right there are there are other folks out there be it you know opinion based uh, you know the preseason magazines or be it some of the other uh projection systems that that just aren't quite as high on louisville as as we are so um that makes me a little bit nervous, but also I, I do think that the ceiling and, and uh, the potential for this team um, is just really, really intriguing. And, and certainly, you know, having a quarterback who's experienced and as just dynamic as Malik Cunningham, um, that, that makes me feel pretty good. That that's something to build around. And I, I do think that I do think Louisville is going to be a really, really interesting team and a, a team that, um, might surprise some folks this year. Xavier, what are your thoughts on Louisville? Can the defense keep them, uh, you know, up here in this range, or do you think they're going to sink like a stone? It's going to be tough. I will be completely honest with you. I, I think that their schedule lends themselves to being one of those teams 
who by midway through October, they're ranked like 12 or 13. Um, and everybody's so excited to see what the back half of their season looks like. But the back half of the year is just really tough. Uh, you know, you have to go, you know, you play Pitt, Wake Forest, at Clemson, NC State, Kentucky. They could lose, they already, and James Madison, excuse me. They could very well lose four out of six of those matchups, if not more. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. Um, now, granted, I will give them Pitt and James Madison as two games I think they'll win, uh, just because of how low I am on Pitt at the current moment, even though defensively I'm not low on Pitt. I'm just low on Keenan Slovis, um, and I'm a little bit higher on what Louisville's offense can do in that game. Uh, and I also give them James Madison because I think they're better than James Madison. But Wake Forest with Sam Hartman back possibly. Clemson maybe has a rolling De- Devin Leary and then Will Levis to finish your season off. Not very fun. I think this is a team that finishes somewhere around seven and five, eight and four at absolute best. Um, with that being the case, that'd be an over. But man, I, I just don't feel comfortable enough saying that. You know, when they do have to also go to UCF um, in a game that you know is never easy to go and beat them in Orlando. Um, and you know, once again, Louisville, like Nick said, is a team that gives one and heck. One is a him saying one away is you know an understatement. This is a team that typically gives a couple away. Uh, last year they were a little bit better um, in that situation. However, they did lose a ton of one possession matchups. Uh, you know they lost to Florida State. Oh, excuse me, they lost to Wake Forest by three. They gave one away against Virginia at home. Uh, you know you lose to Clemson at by by six at home as well. Uh, you let you, you pretty much got you know beat to sleep by NC State, and then you obviously don't come to play against Kentucky last year to end the season off. Um, at home as well. So I'm not ready to deem this Louisville team as taking that next step defensively. They've got so much to earn from me. They, they have to figure it out. Uh, the other piece too is I'm not sure what they're going to do out on the outside. Their running game should be great. Don't get me wrong. You know, when you have a guy like Malik Cunningham there, their, their running game should be, you know, emphatically the best part of their offense, but their passing game has to become a, be- a more of a priority, um, not just for, you know, the receivers out of there, but also for Malik Cunningham. He's a guy who was, you know, at best, I won't say at, at best, he was kind of choppy, at, you know, with passing the football last year. Um, you know, I feel like he he made a, 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 you know, a decent improvement, but I feel like he's been riding and around the same kind of touchdown to interception ratio in his time at Louisville. I'm waiting for him to take that next next step. Uh, and I'm right, you know, you look at his, his interception to touchdown ratio, 22-20 to 5, his first year as a full starter, 20 touchdowns to 12 his second year and last year 19 touchdowns and six interceptions i'm ready for him to finally have that 30 touchdown you know 10 interception year kind of you know and i understand that he has to take a lot of responsibility on the run game as well but you know i think he's a guy who can do both if he really wants to um but yeah i'm not ready to i'm not, I'm not comfortable enough to say that louisville is going to be a team that competes at the top of the acc this year um and, and you know makes themselves uh you know, one of the teams to watch out for, especially when you see their schedule will feature so many of the better teams in the ACC at the end of the year, where I think a lot of them would have found their footing, even if a team like Clemson starts off slow, even if Wake Forest doesn't have Sam Hartman for a while. Heck, even if uh, Keaton Slovis starts off a little choppy, he may have found his footing by October 22nd. So I'm I'm going to say that they barely go over and win seven games um, and literally barely going over. Um, I believe in Lee Cunningham. I think he's going to be a really, really fun guy to watch in the draft process. But as a team, I'm just not ready to say that this is a team that finds itself in that second and third spot uh, and even possibly competing for the ACC title this year. All right, let's go over to next squad up. 
number 20 NC State. They just posted a 9-3 and record that included ACC losses to Miami and Wake Forest by four combined points and close wins over top rivals like Clemson and North Carolina. Eight and a half is their DK total. We have them at eight and four, so officially under the eight and a half. But Nick, NC State, after last year's success, has been one of the Trendy picks to win the ACC. They've got, you know, their quarterback, Devin Leary, coming back, one of the most experienced defenses in the country as well. Can the Wolfpack break through in 2022 and put together a special type of season? I, you know, similar similar question earlier. Um, I think it's possible, but I'm a little bit skeptical. Uh, I know that. You know, Devin Leary is is a quarterback who, one, as head coach, has been pretty vocal, uh, calling him one of the best in college football, which uh, on the one hand, you know, uh, you think, sure, you know, what, what is the coach going to say? Um, but on the other hand, he's somebody who is getting a lot of national interest. Um, I believe, you know, maybe even a little... Uh, NFL buzz as well. Not quite the the physical presence that that Will Levis is, but um, he's a very experienced quarterback and and had a big year last year. Um, uh, you know, for for my own personal uh, opinion, I think maybe top ten quarterback. Sure, uh, in our projections, and it's it's you can make the argument that. Um, we might be a touch low on him. He's, he's 20th among starters in our uh, VGR plus independent or excuse me, individual uh, player ratings. So um, there's still certainly some room to grow. If he comes out, has a, a big uh, start to the season, he might be a hundred rated player by time ACC play starts October 1st at Clemson. So um, if that's the case, then NC state will, uh, sort of they'll, they'll certainly have my attention and, and by that time um they would be favored in every other acc game uh other than the the clemson game so it's it's possible but uh, one of my sort of hesitations is leary can't do it by himself and uh, i just i'm not sure that the playmakers quite you know, that, that NC State really has the playmakers to make a run. They've got some experience at wide receiver. Devin Carter and Thayer Thomas have both been uh, longtime starters. Both have over 30 starts uh, in their career. Porter Rooks, from a pure talent standpoint, uh, is the most talented of the three. Maybe one of those guys, you know, blossoms and, and is just as good, if not maybe better, than Amika Amezi, uh, who they must replace. Um Maybe Daryl Jones, a transfer coming in from uh, Maryland. Maybe he steps up and, and becomes sort of a, a go-to uh, receiver, you know, playmaker type guy. Um, but I am not sold necessarily on 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 either of those, or, or excuse me, any of those receivers being the you know thousand-yard receiver type um, at running back. And and you know we actually don't put a huge. Uh, weight on the running back position, uh, but two guys who were uh, there and, and dependable players, even though um, the rushing attack was a, a little bit of a disappointment for NC State last year. They ranked 94th, actually, in, in team performance uh, rushing offense, but they had one of the better running back duos. 
in the ACC in Zonovan Knight and Ricky Person, both of whom went undrafted, but uh, you know did receive invites and, and are going to be um, potentially NFL players. Uh, I'm a little concerned, you know, with that. Jordan Houston had a uh, really good performance in 2019, but you know he hasn't had to do very much behind those two in a little while. Will they turn to a true freshman and Michael Allen? Um, I've heard some, you know, good things from uh, Demi Sumo uh, Kambaye. My apologies if, if I uh, ruin that. Um, but, you know, it, it sounds like there's some promise at running back. There's some um, potential at receiver. There's just nobody I can point to to say that, okay, you know, it's going to be Deer, uh, excuse me, Devin Leary and this guy making plays uh, for NC State. And then, you know, the, the offensive line is, is uh, not a weak spot by any stretch for returning starters, but they lost, you know, the sixth overall pick in uh, Akeem Ikwanu. So uh, there are reasons to be optimistic offensively. Um, and like I said, with Louisville having an experienced quarterback and, and uh, somebody who's maybe one of the best in the ACC uh, it's definitely better to have that than not. And certainly something to build around, but I have, I think I've, I've got more questions offensively with NC state than I do with Louisville. The difference is I have basically zero questions with the NC state defense. Um, they were borderline top 10 last year. They were 11th in uh, defensive team performance overall. They were top 20 against the pass, top 20 against the run, and just about everybody is back. Not only <laughs> did they return, uh, uh, what, 10 starters, I think, on defense, um, they actually get some former starters back who were injured last year. So uh, this is literally you know, among the, the most experienced. And we're not just talking about uh, returning production from last year's team. I mean, literally one of the most experienced defenses in the country and it is deep. I mean, they are good up front, Corey Durden, uh, you know, all conference performer um, three man front is, is going to be solid. Savion Jackson's back returning starter, Devin Van, um, you know, was a very productive uh, non-starter, but, but projects in that other defensive end uh, role. They do have size up front, unlike Louisville. Their linebacker core is literally uh, the best in the country, according to our numbers. Three max-rated players in the starting lineup. Two of them were hurt last year. Isaiah Moore and, and Peyton Wilson missed some time um, last season, but you know both have uh, obviously – uh, all conference caliber potential. Drake Thomas um, is is one of the best and most productive linebackers in the country. Um, all five starters are back in the secondary, plus guys who played a lot in years past, like Cecil Powell, who missed last year with an injury, like Cyrus Fagan, uh, who missed a, a large portion of the last two years. And they bring in Dreshawn Miller, Miller, excuse me, who's who's kind of an interesting. Um, he got lost in the shuffle after transferring from West Virginia to Auburn last season, only played five snaps, dealt with some injuries, but was a, uh, you know, all big 12 caliber player at West Virginia a couple of years ago. So um, you throw that depth along with 
Um, like I said, all five starters returned: Shaheem Battle and Derek Pitts at corner, Jakeen Harris and Tanner Ingle at safety, and Tyler Baker Williams at nickel. And there's there's just <laughs> there's nothing to complain about for NC State defensively. It's just whether or not that offense really is going to be able to 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 be good enough uh, to beat Clemson on the road to. Um, you know, take care of business in games where there are coin flips. The the last two games of the regular season are going to be tough at Louisville. Follow that up with at North Carolina. Um, they they don't have to play Pitt. They do get Wake Forest at home. It's later in the year, so maybe Sam Hartman will be back, and that'll be a, a little trickier. Um, but yeah, this this NC State team could have a special year if enough things fall into place and if the defense continues to play at a top 10 or, or even better level, um, it, it definitely could happen. I'm just a little bit skeptical, like I said, that they're going to be able to make enough plays. And and they might prove me wrong. I mean, maybe maybe Thayer Thomas, maybe um, you know Devin Carter, Porter Rooks breaks out, maybe, maybe multiple guys break out and become all ACC caliber uh, receivers. Maybe the running game, you know, with Jordan Houston or, or Allen or Sumo is, you know, maybe, maybe it even takes a step forward after losing a couple of uh, NFL running backs. But I just, I, I'm a, I'm a little bit skeptical. I kind of need to, to see it, to believe it. I think their defense is going to be great. Top five in roster strength top 10 on the field, top 11, I should say, on the field last year. Yeah, that's that's going to be one of the best defenses in the country. Very, very good quarterback, experienced offensive line, but I've got some questions uh, when it comes to, to making plays and, and scoring enough to get you know to that 9, 10 uh, wins that they're going to need to go over the win total and, and win the ACC. We'll see. They can do it, but I'm not a believer just yet. Xavier, what do you think? NC State, uh, they, can, can they make a push? Nick's not a believer. Uh, are you a believer in this team? Not 100%. I, I think it's going to take Devin Leary to take that next step as a quarterback to really do it, right? You know, Nick alluded to the fact that their skill positions are just going to be either one brand new or two haven't put up enough numbers, and I couldn't agree more. I, I think when you look at this team, yeah, it's going to go as far as Devin Leary offensively can take them. He'll have time. Now they're going to obviously miss uh, Ikea Kwanwu being on, uh, on, obviously being, you know, the, the stalwart that he was there uh, for so long. But I think this is a team that can find itself in the right position as long as Devin Leary is upright. Um, and as long as Devin Leary can be, you know, can, can have the time to make an impact offensively, they'll be fine. The problem is, is, you know, against some of the higher end defenses in this conference, will he be able to do so consistently? I'm not entirely sure. Now, the great thing is, they only have to see, you know, they, they see Clemson, they see NC State, um, and that's pretty much it for the ranked team that they'll see this year. Uh, their non-conference schedule was rather easy as well. So it, it lends itself an, an opportunity for them to make a run. as long, If Sam Hartman, or excuse me, not Sam Hartman, if Devin Leary does get hot, you know, but I, I just, I'm not comfortable saying that this is a team that can do so um, if, he hasn't ha if he hasn't found a guy. You know, even when you talk about Sam Hartman at Wake Forest, you know, we talk about A.T. Perry and those kind of guys on the outside. Devin Leary doesn't have that guy that he can go to uh, every, you know, on, on, a, on a crucial third down or, or in the red zone when they really need to score. 
Uh, and so if, if he can find that person or maybe it's going to be people, right, that, that he can kind of, you know, throw it around the yard to, then they'll have a really good opportunity of making a run at this. Um, if he's not and, and they struggle, uh, this is going to be a team that's going to let one slip. It's just is, you know, they're maybe it's, you know, they're, they're a team that falls victim to one of Syracuse's losses at, you know, when they, you know, Syracuse typically plays up at home. Maybe they fall victim there. You know, maybe they fall victim to a Boston college, you know, even a, possibly a, a North Carolina at the end of the year, if they aren't able to find a, a consistent outside presence that they can go to when the offense is getting stagnant. Uh, the defense is going to be fine. They alluded to it already. You know, this is going to be weird because, when you look at NC State defensively, they remind you the NC State situation reminds you like of Cal, but they have the quarterback. They just don't have the guys on the outside that you that you typically would see from a team that would be able to make a push at an ACC championship and an ACC title. Uh, I think there's a team that can go over even with that being the case. I just think they'll finish somewhere around what they did last year, right? I think they'll finish around nine wins. Uh, they'll, they'll finish, you know, they'll have their. You know, with an easier non-conference schedule, they'll probably stay undefeated maybe longer, as last year they lost pretty early on in the year. But that game against Clemson on October 1st at Clemson is going to be huge to see what we, you know, what we're going to get from them this year. Um, and if they can survive that game and not, you know, in, you know, let that snowball into a loss to Florida State and then a loss to Syracuse, it's going to be a team that wins at least nine games. Uh, I'm a believer in Devin Leary, but I need to see what they do on the outside. You know, and, and with football becoming more of a game that, you know, you're, you're going to want to throw the football around the yard like we saw with a team like Iowa last year. You can't just run the football all game. You're going to have to throw the football at some point to make an impact. Uh, but if Devin Leary hasn't found that guy, it's going to be a long year. All right, we go over to team number 19 here, and that is Florida. And though competitive versus Alabama, 31-29 loss, and LSU, 49-42 loss, the Gators underachieved under Dan Mullen, who was fired after the 40 to 17 loss to South Carolina, Florida finished six and seven with the 29 to 17 bowl loss to UCF. DK's got their win total at seven. We have them at seven and five and officially over uh, the seven. And with Florida, Nick, you know, Billy Napier takes over and inherits a talented roster headlined by QB Anthony Richardson, but expectations are modest and low for the Gators. So are we, are we too high on them, or do we think that Billy Napier is the right guy to kind of squeeze the juice out of a talented roster here? I'm I'm a little nervous that we're too high on Florida. Um, obviously, there were some things that just didn't didn't go well there. Uh, I know that one of the biggest concerns that the fan base had under Dan Mullen wasn't just underachieving on the field, but on the recruiting trail, and you know the they. Billy Napier has the most talented roster from, you know, player one to player or scholarship 85 on, uh, you know, his team than he has ever as a head coach. Um, but it, it, it's not quite the elite, um, level of talent that we got used to seeing at Florida for, for so long. So, uh, you know, even in the, the Will Muschamp years, um, recruiting was, really, really uh, top of the line more often than not. Um, and, and so I, I, I think Florida should be better. I, I think I like that we're on the over. I feel that uh, there, there are folks out there who are just too quick to assume that Florida won't bounce back. Um, but, you know, 
Napier, I have a, a ton of respect for uh, as a head coach and the job he did. Um, and I love what I've seen from Anthony Richardson. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to see a fully healthy season from him last year, and, and he wasn't quite able to um, wrestle the, the full-time quarterback job away from Emory Jones, but he's one of the most exciting uh, quarterbacks in college football. I, I already compared somebody to Cam Newton this uh, show um, in the way that he runs K.J. Jefferson in Arkansas. And if, if we're actually thinking about the, the high-end potential of who could possibly – um, you know, kind of, kind of live up to that Cam Newton level of play that we saw in, in 2010. I mean, I think Anthony Richardson might be the best bet, not saying he will, um, but just incredibly, incredibly athletic. I mean, how many long touchdown runs did we see last year? So not only does he have the size and, and the measurables, um, but he's got the, the athleticism and, and the pure speed. So the thing that, gives me a little pause with that though is um the the offenses that we saw under napier at louisiana didn't really showcase that type of quarterback and you know levi lewis was a longtime starter there and had some running ability um but you know did a whole lot of uh handing off and, and certainly richardson's going to have some talented guys to hand off to Seems like maybe a three-headed uh, running back competition or, or maybe committee. Um, former five-star Lorenzo Lingard is there. Former Louisiana running back and transfer Montreal Johnson. Uh, the one who we have listed first on our depth chart projections, but it is really a, a three-way tie. All our listed starters is Naquan Wright, who's coming off an injury. So, um, you know, plus there's a, a highly ranked uh, true freshman and, and Trevor Etienne coming in. So I think that Florida is going to have, you know, the, the running backs, uh, the depth for what Napier wants to do or what we've, we've seen him do well in the past. Um, receivers, a little bit of a concern, a lot of highly, I mean, as far as pure talent goes, um, it's the most talented group, arguably, on offense. Um, but there's just, there hasn't been a whole lot of, of big time uh, playmakers at receiver for Florida. And, and unfortunately uh, the most productive receiver on the roster, uh, Ricky Pearsaw transfer from Arizona uh, suffered an injury. That's going to keep him out a while. Um, so, you know, we've been waiting for uh, quite a while for, for former five-star Justin Shorter to break out. Um, he, with Pearsall gone, you know, has another opportunity maybe to emerge as, as that number one guy. Trent Whittemore is, has uh, been solid at times and is experienced. Um, but, you know, will Xavier Henderson uh, break through and, and become that high-level uh, talent that, that we expected when he signed out of high school? What will the uh, tight end position look like? Keon Zipperer um, certainly has a lot of potential. Dante Xanders had a huge, huge spring uh, after moving over from defense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that position plays out. The offensive line, top 40 uh, unit last year. The left side returns intact. The right side added Osiris Torrance, who's a max-rated player, one of the most experienced 
offensive lineman in the country knows this system because he transferred in from uh, Louisiana. And then there's, there's talent there on the roster as well to fill that out. So, you know, offensively, it seems like Florida is going to be pretty good. And, and, you know, if, if we see a little bit of a different spin on the offense than we saw under Napier at Louisiana, which is possible. I mean, just because uh, a coaching staff, uh, you know, performed a, a certain way doesn't mean that they will continue to do exactly the same thing, especially when they inherit a uniquely talented quarterback. And, and Anthony Richardson is, you know, one of the uh, most exciting players in the country, not just because of what we saw, but the, the potential he has. Um, so we might see something quite different. We might see, uh, you know, them really let uh, Anthony Richardson go out and be creative and play. And, and um, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit more of the quarterback position from Florida than, than Billy Napier's offenses have, have uh, shown us in the last couple of years. It's a little bit of a concern that his top backup, Jack Miller, the transfer from Ohio State, probably going to miss the season with a thumb injury. Um, so, you know, that that makes it maybe a little less likely that they're going to cut Richardson loose completely because he does have a little bit of an injury history and uh, there's basically zero experience behind him should he get hurt. Um, but, you know, I, I do think uh, the potential is there that they, you know, that, that we get to see everything Anthony Richardson can do. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at least hopeful of that. Defensively, Florida really underachieved uh, in recent years. The talent level on defense is even better than the talent level on offense. And in, in fact, this is a top 10 uh, defense in terms of roster strength. They finished last year 55th in overall defensive team performance, struggled against the run, ranked 72nd, also gave up you know, some big plays in the passing game um, at times. I mean, they, they finished 16th in yards per pass attempt uh, against FBS opponents, but, you know, the, the maybe it was just cliche, I guess, but, you know, third and Grantham was a thing, right? Uh, just big plays on, on third down and, and, uh, there were there were moments last year as well where where Florida just underachieved uh, defensively. So Louisiana traditionally has had you know pretty good defenses, and, and Napier's teams played well on defense. So I think we'll see a little bit of a step forward. Um, Florida must replace a first round corner, but sec- the secondary should be a strength. The other uh, four full time starters do return. They also. Uh, hopefully we'll have Jaden Hill back, who we have expected to start if he's healthy. Had an ACL last uh, ACL last year, um, and we have him listed as questionable for the opener. But you know, Jason Marshall, former five-star level recruit, um, Jadarius Perkins, uh, former you know highly rated JUCO transfer, um, and then Jalen Kimber, the transfer from uh, Georgia. It'll be interesting to see how he fits in as well. So I think the secondary will be in a, a, a good spot. Ventral Miller uh, missed almost all of last year at linebacker, um, but has been a, a really, really good player up to that point should give, you know, uh, that, that linebacker core um, 
at least a, a very high end and, and competent uh, player sort of running things at that level. And then the defensive line was actually a strength last year, played at a top 25 level. Uh, Britton Cox is a max rated player, um, maybe hasn't quite lived up to the, the hype from his high school uh, career. He signed with Georgia as a five star, but he's been, you know, pretty dependable. Um, and has been productive coming off the edge. Uh, Gervin Dexter in the interior of that defensive line, returning starter as well. Um, plus, they've they've got some depth. They've got some talent uh, and a couple of you know pretty interesting uh, true freshmen coming in as well who, who might work themselves into the rotation. So I understand a lot of uh, you know why folks are, are hesitant to say that Florida will will bounce back and and be uh how our projections say that you know the second best team in the east um or actually not but we haven't did we talk about tennessee yet really <laughs> uh so so no yeah so tennessee i guess I, I got ahead of myself there um but i think florida could get back to that level relatively quickly i do think they could get back to a you know top 20 top 25 level um, and I think that, you know, they, they might surprise us and, and win a game or two, uh, that we wouldn't expect even in year one, we've got them as a, a toss up at home against LSU. Uh, we do have them as a slight underdog at, at Tennessee, but the one that, you know, we'll find out real quick, they play Utah, the highest ranked PAC 12 team defending PAC 12 champ. Uh, Utah is favored in that game, even though it's at home. According to the odds makers, we've got it as as a literal toss up. Uh, Florida as as a 0.14 uh, point projected favorite in that game. So um, I I don't have a ton of confidence that Florida will be able to win that game outright. Uh, but it being at home and you know might be an opportunity to to surprise some folks. Um, I think it's possible that Florida takes a step forward and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're on the over seven. We don't quite see uh, them getting all the way to eight, seven and five is probably the most likely scenario. Um, but I, I think that that is possible. I think that, that Florida, you know, maybe isn't quite as talented as they were last year, but I think they are talented enough um, that they're going to be able to, to, get that seventh win um, certainly I think do better than two and six in SEC play. Um, and then hopefully, you know, if you're a Florida fan, uh, take another step forward in uh, year two, but, but hopefully get a little bit of a, uh, you know, a bump and a, a strong start here in, in Napier's first season. Xavier, what do you think of the Gators? Um, you know, it, obviously the coaching change, kind of puts things in flux for this year, right. but always, always hugely talented roster. A lot like right. Texas, a lot like Tennessee, you know, very, very highly recruited uh, school here. Yeah. I, th okay. So for Florida fans this year, they kind of just have to keep their heads throughout the entire year. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to be my first kind of, you know, note in this entire thing because they very well could start the season off one and three. And I don't think it would surprise anybody. Obviously, Nick has Tennessee as the second best team in the SEC East, as he just kind of spoiled just two seconds ago. Uh, yeah, he clearly had, you know, Utah is clearly going to be in, you know, an amazing bunch as they bring back a ton of talent after, you know, a, a Rose Bowl that was a Rose Bowl for the ages. Um, 
that you know and then obviously i'm very fairly high on kentucky going into this year as i feel like they should still be the second best team in the sec east if not you know uh if not just third you know and riding behind so when you look at that you know and then they play those three teams at the beginning of the year it could very well end up you know them being one in three you know going into the game against eastern washington and they just need to keep their heads keep themselves cool at that point and realize that this season like you just said uh scott is a, is a rebuilding year you know, yes, Anthony Richardson is obviously going to be great, you know, at some point, whether it's, you know, to start the season off or it's six games into the year, he'll hit his stride. He does, you know, he just has to be given the, the proper time and perspective to do so. Their defense has some talent on it. Don't get me wrong. Gervin Dexter is going to be a first round draft pick, period. The kid's amazing. Um, you know, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a little less high on how, you know, on the other ways that they're going to have to get to the quarterback this year. I'm extremely high on Ventral Miller. I think he, I think he's another one on a long list of, of Florida, you know, uh, semi linebackers that they are able to put out seemingly every three to four years. At one point, it's every two years. Um, you know, their, their secondary has a lot to live up to. You know, I feel like last year's secondary was rather underwhelming, but you had bigger names. This year's secondary, I, I, be, I believe, has to kind of, you know, do the little things right. Yeah, the interceptions are great, but last year they were they, they had way too many busts in that secondary uh, in bigger games. Uh, I just feel like when you look at this team, they have a lot to be there's a lot to be desired going forward, and it could it could rear its ugly head very early on in this year. You know, like I said, this is this is very well be a team that loses its first you know three of their first four, um, and, and then you know r- rattles off. The, the next three games, you know, I feel like it's going to be a very up and down year for them uh, where they finish somewhere in the range of seven and five, seven, you know, uh, eight and four at the best, at absolute best is eight and four. Uh, I'm not, a, I'm not highly bullish on everybody else on the roster. I do think losing uh, Pearsall is going to hurt a ton with this team because they didn't have a ton of receiver, uh, consistent receiver play last year. Obviously, um, you know, they, they lost a couple of guys who went off the transfer their tight end room. Now, their tight end room is really a, a, a huge question mark. It could be great. It could be one of the best tight end rooms in the country. It just hasn't yet. It's, they just haven't hit the round running yet. And I'm, I'm, we're all kind of waiting to see. That might be the, the counter to them not having, you know, as much uh, receiver depth as they haven't had, as they have had in the past, past excuse me, is their, um, is their tight end room. So I think Florida is a team that rattles off seven wins. Uh, I think they can win eight. My biggest question mark for them is making sure that they keep their heads, that they understand that, you know, this is a long year uh, and Billy Napier doesn't, you know, and especially the fan base doesn't end up, you know, throwing this kid. I mean, this kid, I mean, Billy Napier. So he's a grown man, you know, over, you know, into the into the ocean four games in, you know. um, So I I like Billy. I think this is a guy who's going to need time. He needed time in Louisiana to create what he created. I think he'll need some time here to kind of get the old regime out and be able to, you know, uh, create the the unit that he's had that he had eventually at Louisiana. So, give me Florida with seven to eight wins is what I'm comfortable with as of right now. All right, we uh, roll on to number eighteen, Cincinnati, and Cincinnati made history as the first G five team to make the college football playoff last year, following a twelve and zero regular season. They did end it on a 27-6 loss at Alabama in the Cotton Bowl semifinal. Uh, nine is the DK win total for this season. We have them at nine and three, so officially by percentage points over the nine. 
Uh, Nick, for Cincinnati, you know, despite ranking 104th in our most recent returning production update, a lot of talent off to the NFL. It seems our projections don't expect a big step back for the Bearcats. How likely is an AAC repeat or maybe even an undefeated season for the Bearcats in 2022? I, I don't think it's super likely. I mean, it, it's very, very difficult to um, – it was very difficult – for Cincinnati to do what it did last year. Everything pretty much had to line up perfectly with, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in school history, with one of the best defenses in the country, um, with, uh, you know, just a lot of experience and talent that they've been able to compile, uh, you know, at the, at the very, very high end of the group of five. They had, you know, the, the resume boost that they needed with a win over Notre Dame. So it, it all kind of came together and you don't, you don't very often follow um, the best season in school history with another, you know, best season in, in school history. That said, our, our numbers really, really like Cincinnati. And, and part of that is that we use, you know, history is as uh one of the the factors we do have a three-year weighted team performance uh rating that goes into our overall uh team strength rating calculation it's not a huge uh, piece of the puzzle but it, it certainly is part of it it's even you know a, a little bit more apparent in our uh stats only model our our projected um, scoring margin or, or what I call uh, prism often, um, you know, Cincinnati is, is even uh, higher in the ratings uh, in those calculations. So it's, it's certainly natural to expect they're seventh, by the way, I tried to, to look that up quickly uh, in our prism ratings they're they're seventh in the country. So it's, it's natural to say that they are, overrated um you know you you don't replace uh what Cincinnati had the most second most draft picks last year right behind Georgia um so they had four five six seven eight nine guys drafted which is just unheard of at the group of five level including a first rounder in Ahmad Sauce Gardner fourth overall um they had what three top 100 four top 100 guys Ritter um, Ford Beavers uh my Jay Sanders Alec Pierce was Alec Pierce second rounder 53rd overall yeah um so I mean just just tons and tons of of you know not just experience I mean this just this wasn't just a group of five team that everything happened to to click and they got a bunch of seniors all together at the right time and and a bunch of starters that happened but these guys were you know NFL draft picks as well. So that's that's going to be difficult to replace, but there is talent still on the roster. This offensive line might be one of the best in the country. All five starters are back. Three of them were all conference performers. Everybody played, you know, 580 snaps or more, and, and four out of the five played 700 snaps or more. Um, it, it's difficult to, to repeat uh that level of health on the offensive line. Um, but, you know, there's there's certainly a, a very solid 
building block there. A top 25 offensive line and, and O-line performance returns intact. Um, you know, that that that's a big deal. That's certainly something that that you can build on. The receiver position, the tight end position, I mean, they have one of the better tight end duos in the country in Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor. Uh, Trey Tucker, pretty exciting. You know, he's been an all-conference performer as a return man, but we're gonna we're gonna get to see him in a, a, a really big receiver role as well. And I think has the potential to be one of the more dynamic uh, playmakers at the receiver position in the conference. Tyler Scott's a returning starter at wide receiver. They added a, a high, you know, potential impact uh, receiver in Nick Mardner, who had a pretty big year last year at Hawaii. He's a six-six transfer coming in. Um, the quarterback, you know, they've they've got two guys. I think that they feel pretty good about. A lot of folks were hoping that Evan Prater, the uh, you know former four star, uh, would get the job after Ritter, but they did bring back Ben Bryant, who began his career at Cincinnati, transferred out, was the starter last year at Eastern Michigan. Everything I'm reading seems to indicate that Bryant has a slight lead in in that competition. Um, but, you know, a, a guy who has a full year as a starter, that, that's a pretty um, pretty good thing to, to have in your back pocket uh, when you're replacing a second-round draft pick quarterback, uh, to have, you know, a former four-star and, a, and a, uh, another guy who's been an FBS starter, you know, they might not have the, the high-end upside of, of Desmond Ritter, but probably going to be okay. Um, the running back position, yeah, losing Dokes, that's going to hurt. But Corey Kiner, even though he's been banged up, um, high, highly rated, uh, bigger, you know, 210-plus pound running back transfer from LSU. But they've been really talking up Ryan Montgomery, uh, you know, as, as uh, maybe the next guy or, or the guy to get the first uh, handoff of the season. Charles McClellan. Um, has has been a guy who's who's uh, been around for a long time, smaller, but could you know give a, a little bit of an option um, at running back as well. So it's it it they might not have unless Corey Kiner becomes this guy, they might not have the the um, you know Jerome Ford. I think I said Dokes. That was two years ago. They might not have the Jerome Ford level of uh, talent or, or you know kind of bell cow potential, but I think that running back group is, is deep enough to where I really don't have any questions about Cincinnati's offense, you know, playing an AAC schedule um, defensively. I probably maybe even feel better. Uh, and, you know, the defense was elite seventh nationally in team performance defensively last season number three defending the pass 13th against the run and they lost just as many if not more uh you know actually they they did lose more nfl draft picks six of them were on the defensive side of the ball and they lost six players who were max rated in our individual player ratings but it's not like you know one position group was just decimated and there's a a just huge huge obvious weak spot and question mark the secondary might be the closest to it i mean losing gardner losing kobe bryant losing brian cook uh 
all four of those guys drafted in the first four rounds, first 109 picks. But Arquan Bush, pretty solid corner. He's back. Javon Hicks, been there forever. He's back. You know, both of those guys are 20 game starters. Um, and they they didn't necessarily get the the second team, you know, the two deep, uh, a ton of snaps, but there's enough experience sprinkled throughout that I, I don't think we're going to see, you know, this isn't going to go from one of the best secondaries in the country to one of the weakest, you know, in the AAC. We're not going to see that level of drop off. It's still, um, you know, a top 75 unit in our roster strength numbers, which for the group of five level, I mean, that's on the high end, right? There's 65 group of five teams. So uh, I feel better about the front seven. Malik Van is back up front. They did, uh, you know, rotate defensive linemen in quite a bit. So Jawan Briggs, Jabari Taylor weren't returning starters, but both played over 450 snaps last year. Both were productive. Ty Van Fossen at the linebacker uh, group is, is uh, you know, the the returning starter. But Deshaun Pace, who wasn't actually, had a better season last year. And they brought in uh, his brother, I believe, Ivan uh, or Yvonne Pace Jr., who was one of the most productive edge defenders in the country at Miami of Ohio last year. So, you know, the depth might not be there for Cincinnati, um, but the, the first level, yeah, they're, they're not quite as good. They're not quite as talented, but I think for, you know, the, the question, can they defend their AAC championship? Yeah, I think they, I think they'll they'll certainly have an opportunity. Um, they are our highest rated AAC team. They do get uh, you know tough road matchups with with SMU and UCF, but they do have a bye before that SMU game. Um, they do miss Houston, as we've discussed before. So you know if they're able to to navigate um, those two you know back to back road trips. Uh, maybe if they just split those two, then I, I think Cincinnati is, is definitely, um, gonna, gonna have a, a, a chance to play their way into that championship game again. Um, you know, certainly they might take a step back. I mean, after that great run UCF had, um, eventually it came to an end and they were a good, but not great type team. This feels like, you know, that that's certainly a possibility for Cincinnati with so much turnover. Um, but uh, they've built a, a really, really solid foundation. Haven't had a whole lot of coaching change. You know, lost Marcus Freeman a couple of years ago. Um, but with, uh, you know, Luke Fickle in control and, and kind of keeping everything rolling, yeah, yeah. I, I just kind of, I think Cincinnati's earned the benefit of the doubt from me uh, so far. So I, I don't think we're going to see a big, big drop off. Um, it's it's definitely unreasonable to think they'll get back to the playoff, but I certainly think that they will be in the mix uh, in the AAC. And you know, don't be surprised if if they're back in that title game. Xavier, your thoughts on Cincinnati here. Do you think this is a team that uh, has the potential to go undefeated again? Is the drop-off too big? It's a letdown too big? What do you think for Cincy in 2022? I don't have them as being like a, a, a giant beater like I did last year, right? You know, they, they beat Notre Dame, 
I won't call India a giant, but they were a pretty good ball club the year before. Uh, but like this year, them going into Arkansas, don't have them favorite there. And, you know, uh, for myself, um, even them playing against an SMU, I feel like it's closer than it would have been last year. They get SMU and UCF back to back. How will they navigate those two games? Uh, it is going to be very highly important to them, you know, uh, keeping their, their, their title hopes, you know, in play. Uh, I just feel like they've taken a big enough progression behind Houston, who we talked about in last week's episode, to say that I don't think that they'll repeat. But to suggest that they'll all of a sudden fall off of this cliff, kind of like Nick uh, alluded to, is it, just too far for me. Uh, this is still going to be an extremely talented bunch. Yes, they lost a ton. Uh, obviously, my biggest worry for them is in the secondary. You lose that much talent. But not even it, it just being that much talent in, in the sense of, like, yeah, they got drafted. That much top-tier talent. You know, it's, it's not always, you know, it's not every day that a, a top-five pick or, you know, you know, you know, comes walking through your doors at a, at, a, at a G5 school. It's just not it's just not the case. Right. It is not always the case that you get a three year starter coming that, walk, that walks through your door that has the success that Desmond Ritter was able to you know have almost beating Georgia in, in, in a bowl game the year prior and then almost beating a game, you know, almost, you know, and giving Alabama a challenge in last year's playoff game. You don't always have that come through your doors at a G5 school either. So, you know, yes, it's a ton of talent in the sense of they got drafted, but it's also, you know, narrative based as well. They had probably one of, if not the best secondary in college football last year. And you even saw Alabama, a team that, you know, everybody thought that they were going to dominate them, pretty much go away from the passing game for pretty much the entire first half, just because that's how good their secondary was uh, last year. So I think Cincinnati has regressed, and if you can even call this a regression, from playoff contender to just like AAC contender or AAC champion, right? Which is like the slightest of regressions in some ways, but I think is a clear one uh, uh, this year. Now, granted, heck, they beat Arkansas in week one. The, the the playoff conversation will inevitably be back. Yes, you know, it'll be a big enough win uh, in the grand scheme of things, especially if they go to Fayetteville and, and beat them, to, to have them in that conversation. Not necessarily saying that they'll be in the playoff again, but it'll have them in the conversation if they're able to run the table. Uh, I am going to go with their over. I think they're still the be- the second best team in the AAC. I think um, Houston's better simply because I feel like their quarterback situation is just that much better. I do think Clayton Tune is is now far and away the best quarterback in the AAC this year. Um, and I think once again, if they can properly navigate the SMU UCF back to back games in, in in you know late in late October, they'll be fine. They'll they'll be perfectly fine. Uh, they should win every other game on their schedule, um, you know, and hopefully they don't drop one to like a Tulane or two even in Indiana, who I still think that they're better than. Um, I, I don't think Luke Fickle has that kind of, you know, situation in him to do so. Uh, I think this is a team that runs the table, is in the AAC championship game, and is playing against Houston at the end of the year. All right, we go over to team number 17, UCLA, though UCLA's holiday bowl date with NC State was canceled at the last minute. Last year's 8-4 and four finish was worth celebrating uh, as the first winning season under Chip Kelly. Finally, 8.5 is their win total from DK this year. We have them at 8-4, and four, so officially under the 8.5. Nick, our win total projection snuck under the 8.5, but as a top 20 team in our power rankings, favored in 10 games, it seems the Bruins should be uh, in the Pac-12 championship conversation. Can UCLA get it done under Chip Kelly finally here? I am torn because all offseason, uh, or, you know, the, the, the first update we did to our uh, team strength ratings. When I, I first saw the, you know, 
how the the changeover from 2021 to 2022 uh, went. I felt like that UCLA ranking was just, uh, I believe I tweeted it out, uh, just annoyingly high. They they are a team, UCLA, that our numbers have struggled with a lot. We've been very high on UCLA more often than not. And a big part of that has been because they've traditionally uh, recruited pretty well, have some you know high-end uh, talented players, and they were one of those teams that, that we often refer to and, and probably sound like a broken record, but, uh, you know, teams like Miami and Texas and USC, um, who are just always, uh, <laughs> almost, uh, no matter how well they played on the field the previous year are top 10, top 15, top 20 teams. Um, not just in our power ratings, but oftentimes, I mean, the, the, uh, they're the type of teams that get that, 23rd 24th spot in the ap poll um and ucla might not have that you know they 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 might not quite in that group but for us um they're more often than not a top 25 preseason team and and early in the preseason it looked like they were going to be closer to to number 10 than number 20 that's come back just a bit. And actually in our most recent update, we mentioned last, last show that um, our current power rankings and our team profiles don't necessarily line up with uh, the rankings as we're discussing teams right now, because this order was, was set earlier. Uh, They did lose um, a projected starter uh, in uh, Mike Martinez, who has been on, you know, Bruce Feldman's freaks list. He's uh, a, a really, really excellent blocking tight end and might have been in line for a little bit more than that after Greg Dulcich, uh, third round draft pick departed, but uh, he is uh, apparently no longer on the roster. Haven't heard exactly why uh, yet, but a little bit of a, a blow there at, at, you know, the tight end position. So UCLA is, is down now to 19th, but still, you know, as you mentioned in this part of the rankings, top 20 team, top four uh, in the Pac-12, that's striking distance, you know, to make it to the Pac-12 title game and, and you know, probably would need an upset to beat a Utah or an Oregon or, or a USC, I believe, since since now they're um, uh, don't necessarily have to, to win the division, just be one of the top two teams. I believe I've got that correct. Um, then... Yeah, I mean, it, it could happen. Uh, UCLA's profile sets up pretty similarly to some teams that we already discussed. Malik Cunningham at Louisville, Devin Leary at NC State. Well, there's Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA. Been a little up and down uh, over the years, but a guy who's played a lot of football, has been in the system for a long time. 35 career starts, max rated, you know, 100 rated player. And then last year really seemed to, to start to live up to the potential stop, started to, um, you know, limit some of the uh, mistakes that plagued him earlier in his career. Hopefully he'll be able to, to stay fully healthy. Um, that's always, it seems, been been a little bit of an issue. But Dorian Thompson-Robinson is, is uh, a, a great piece to build around a sixth year senior 
Um, and he's got some talent around him. Zach Charbonnet, Charbonnet uh, really kind of blossomed into the borderline five-star player he was expected to be when he signed with Michigan coming out of high school. Um, he should get an even heavier workload. It was a little bit of a surprise, actually, that he came back for his senior year, but enters as one of the best running backs in the country and, and you know, would expect um, they will lean on him. Uh, and, uh, you know, UCLA usually does a, a pretty good job of, of – uh, being diverse in, in the run game, and Thompson Robinson certainly will run, but usually there's kind of a, a one-two punch there. And so will Keegan Jones, will Deshaun Morrell, um, Tamorian Harden, who's a, a true freshman. Uh, will one of those guys kind of step up? Kazmir Allen, uh, we have listed as a starting uh, receiver, but has played some running back in the past. So um, feel pretty good about the run game. It was you know the fourth-ranked rushing offensive team performance uh, rating last year. And, and a big piece of that uh, is back. The offensive line, which ranked 12th in O-line performance, that's that's uh, an area that, you know, personnel-wise on paper uh, have some concerns. Only two returning starters are back. Um, they have had to, you know, get creative in the way that that they're sort of looking to put together an offensive line in the past they've they've um brought in some defensive linemen and and you know guys are in the mix uh that seems to be the case as well not sure if if you know somebody who was a, a defensive lineman last year will uh be in line to start like we've seen a, a time or two in chip kelly's tenure but um had to go into the transfer portal for raekwon o'neill transfer former starter at at Rutgers, um, but not necessarily somebody that a lot of the uh, bigger power five teams who were in need of offensive linemen, basically everybody was, um, he didn't quite have the offer list that, that some of the other folks um, did uh, who, who ended up, you know, as projected starter uh, transfers at, at offensive line. So be curious to see, you know, on paper, he looks like a pretty good player. Uh, fit and, and you know should help solidify that unit but i i have heard some whispers that um you know he just wasn't quite the the uh highly sought after transfer that that you would hope for if you're a team like ucla who who's hoping to play at a pac-12 championship contending level defensively um there are some concerns and and ucla did rank 84th in team performance overall, uh, 80th against the run, 66th against the pass, and they've got to replace you know more than half of their defensive uh, production from last year. So uh, this is Xavier's opportunity for uh, one of his favorite sayings. Uh, so maybe actually some uh, new blood will will help this unit. But they hit the transfer portal pretty hard. Might have half their half their starting lineup might be first year transfers on the defensive side of the ball up front Grayson Murphy from North Texas and Jake uh, excuse me Jacob Sykes uh, from Harvard uh, look like you know they, they might be starters Gary Smith the third was a transfer from Duke uh, so three of their you know top six in, in the two deep up front are likely to be transfers that defensive line was a major major area 
of Meade. Uh, all their starting experience was gone and not a whole lot of, you know, guys who, who picked up a lot of uh, playing time as, as reserves. At the second level, uh, Darius Masu transferred from Hawaii, Gabriel Murphy, um, the other Murphy uh, twin from North Texas are going to be in the mix. You know, at least one of those guys I would expect to start, maybe both. Um, Bo Calvert's the only returning starter uh, on the, uh, you know, in that linebacker core, that edge uh, position. Um, and then Stephen Blaylock's the only returning starter, full-time starter at safety. They're likely going to uh, rely on at least one transfer at corner, whether it's Azizi Hearn, former starter at Wyoming, or uh, Jalen Davies, who's a talented redshirt freshman but didn't play a whole lot at Oregon last year. So, you know, it, it's a unit that just didn't play very well. And then also um, a lot of guys, you know, multiple starters entered the transfer portal, but um, there were also, you know, multiple draft picks as well. Quentin Lake was a six-rounder. Um, Atito uh, Agbania was a fifth-rounder. Again, my apologies if, if uh, mispronounced, uh, but a, a good chunk of the defense, um, the starting unit, uh, was out of eligibility or, or went on to pursue uh, their life after football. So little concerned defensively for UCLA, but was was uh, really, really, um, you know, at least as far as our projections go, uh, really pleased to see how much the unit improved offensively, was pleased to see uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson take a step forward at quarterback. So if the offense can continue to play at a top 10 level, and that certainly is not guaranteed, um, the receiver core, you know, mentioned Dulcich being gone. Michael Azike, you know, looks like a really, really intriguing tight end, former wide receiver. Um, Jake Bobo transferred in from UCLA to potentially, you know, be that number one. Um, not necessarily going to replace Kyle Phillips, the fifth round draft pick and, and sort of training camp uh, warrior, I guess. Um, but uh, there are some, you know, there's some talent there. There, there are some talented uh, high school recruits from the Chip Kelly era, not as many as there were before, um, but then also, you know, some talented transfers, uh, Titus Mokia, uh, Altamalala from UCF, uh, who, who uh, you know, followed Dylan Gabriel, who I believe there might be uh, a relationship there, followed to UCF and then both transferred. Gabriel, if we remember, actually originally uh, committed to UCLA. So a as part of that, um, you know, maybe maybe he's the guy that kind of fits that uh, Phillips role. It'll be interesting to see. Chip Kelly is still pretty creative at times uh, as an offensive play caller and, and play designer. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what he does with, you know, an even more experienced quarterback and even, uh, you know, better uh, potential, you know, go-to running back bell cow type player. Um, be curious to see. I, I do think that UCLA has a schedule that, that, you know, sets up decently well, do have to go to Oregon, uh, but that is uh, after a bye week. Um, and, you know, Oregon has a, a change at, at head coach and, and plenty of roster turnover as well. Do get Utah at home. That's big. Do get USC 
uh, at home. That'll be a toss up. Uh, so UCLA, you know, we've got them favored in 10 games. Um, quite a few are toss ups, but pretty easy, I should say, uh, uh, first four games. And then, you know, hopefully at that, if you're a UCLA fan, if you're a believer in, in them as a Pac-12 title contender, you know, hopefully they'll be able to uh, lean on that and, and build into that Utah game, take a week off, go to Oregon, um, give them themselves the best shot in that one. And I, I think that the, I think the floor for UCLA, UCLA is a lot higher than it's been in recent years. The ceiling might not be super high. I mean, I guess Pac-12 contender. I mean, maybe that is pretty high. But I don't think this is. I don't think that this UCLA team is going to miss a bowl game, even if it's a disappointing year. Even if they lose a couple games, they shouldn't. Probably should get back to a bowl. Um, so, I guess I, I should because we're on the under. Uh, I kind of hope maybe something goes wrong, but I, I do think that this is a UCLA team. You know, we haven't favored in 10 games. Like I said, we've got them talent edges in 10 and the stats only model, which hasn't always loved UCLA actually has them favored in 10. So this, this could very well be a 10 win team. And, and we would certainly miss that being on the under. Um, but I, I think it's possible. Uh, Xavier, what do you think of UCLA? Uh, you know, Chip Kelly, Finally got them to a winning record. Can we get right. a little bit more than that this year? I, I'm I'm gonna say under off the uh, off the beginning. I, I think this is a really good ball club. I think this is a team that very well could go over. I'm just not comfortable with it. Maybe because it's UCLA. Uh, maybe because it's Chip Kelly. And, and I'm I'm as you know highly as Nick talked about Dorian Thompson Robinson. I want more. I want more. I feel like last year was pretty good. 2,700 yards, 21 touchdowns, six, or 19 touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, I feel like last year was good. I feel like there's just more there. I, I just do. I, I feel like there's more to, than what he was able to give. And I think that if he does reach that next level, or we're talking about a 30 TD guy or or a high 20s uh, TD guy, you know, at over 3,000 yards, then then we're talking about a team that can compete for the Pac-12, right? That now we're talking about a team that can compete with the Oregons, the Utahs. Um, of the world, even, you know, the USC's, which people are pretty high on, you know, with Lincoln Riley and, and Caleb Williams both there. Um, but I will say, if there's a team they're going to drop it to, Nick, it's going to be Washington. It's going to be that Washington game. Uh, you know, that it's a, it's a perfect trap game. They've got you. They've got Utah the very next week. You know, you overlook a, a Washington team that at that point in the year might be okay. You know, won't be, you know, a, a, a barnstormer matchup of, at, at all. You know, they maybe have lost to Michigan State and Stanford by that point. You never really know. Um, and you go into that game as UCLA just thinking that you're by far and away the better team, looking at Utah as, as a possibility of knocking off the, you know, the, the former Pac-12 champion or the reigning Pac-12 champion, and, and you lose. And you drop that game, and now all of a sudden you've dropped the game with Utah and Oregon on the horizon. And that's how, in my opinion, if I were to put together a, a – a, you know, a how-to on how, you know, they, they don't win over eight games. There, there it is. Washington, Utah, Oregon, and then losing that game to USC at the end of the year um, would be would be that formula. I, I just find this team extremely, like, you know, either you're extremely high on them or you're skeptical like I am. Like, it, it, there's no kind of middle ground with them because US, UCLA hasn't been this, you know, you know confident football-wise in a very long time. So, you know, I just feel like I'm much more comfortable – Comfortable. 
I'm much more comfortable saying that this team is going to win eight games and, and that they'll lose a couple of them, you know, to, to teams that they're supposed to, and then they'll lose one game. It's just like how? And I, and I think that game is against Washington. I hope it's not against like a South Alabama or something. We could ha- be having a completely different conversation. Or it's going to be against somebody like a Cal at the very end of the year. Maybe they lose to USC that knocks them out of the Pac-12 championship race as a whole. And now they're, you know, they go into that Cal game. It's not, you know, they don't really care. Their, their fate has already been sealed. And they go into that game and give a lackluster performance against a Cal team who always is looking to knock off one, one of the one of the two teams in LA, whether that be Cal, whether that be USC or UCLA, just to get those kind of bragging rights. Uh, that sounds like UCLA to me. So uh, <laughs> sounds good. Uh, the last team we'll talk we'll talk about today, number sixteen, BYU. No Zach Wilson, no problem for BYU last year. They won ten games for the second straight year, including a five and zero run versus Pac twelve opponents, highlighted by a victory over our tribal and eventual conference champion in the Pac twelve, Utah. Uh, that was huge for them. Eight and a half is their DK win total. There, uh, we have them at eight and four, so officially under the eight and a half. But Nick, BYU ranks number two in o- returning overall production, number one on defense. Will experience help the Cougars improve a unit that ranked 96 in defensive team performance last year? What do you think about BYU for 2022? I think they will be better defensively, and part of that is experience, part of that is you know, they, they certainly. Uh, took a big, big step back. I mean, they were a top 20 defense in 2020, and then to be, you know, almost triple digits in team performance was uh, a, a major disappointment. Um, but I think I think they're solid. And, you know, they're, Tyler Beatty is a guy who uh, really uh, shined in 2020 as an edge, uh, you know, pass rusher. Um, he was banged up. A lot last year still had a you know decent year but not quite at the level that that he had before they've got size up front um you know Beatty was a, a returning starter Gabe Summer Earl uh Tuyoti Mariner is back um and you know returning starter might not start because uh Atanasia Mahe it seems is, has got sort of the uh inside track there at nose they were able to rotate, you know, a lot of guys coming back with um, 200 more snaps. I mean, six, they're six deep on guys with 200 more snaps. They're eight deep on guys who played 100 snaps or more last season. Um, at linebacker, you know, really, really should be a strength, um, not just of, of the defense, but but probably the team. Uh, Peyton Wilgar back has, has really, really been a solid player the last couple of years. You know, he's one of three returning starters who are back. Um, and that doesn't include Max Tooley, who um, I believe spent some time injured last season, but uh, you know, had a huge 2020, one of those guys that, that was playing at a really, really high level um, and would expect he'll sort of regain his, his starting spot uh, and make that linebacker core, you know, one of the better, uh, we still call BYU a, a G5 team. I know there's, uh, I don't know, that we won't get into it today, but soon to be Power 5, Big 12 team. But but uh, um, that linebacker core, you know, one, one of the better non-Power 5 conference uh, units, I would say. 
their experience in the secondary as well. Both starting corners are back. Malik Moore starting safety is back. Most experienced player last year. Um, they added a pretty intriguing uh, transfer, in, in my opinion, Gabe Judy uh, from Vanderbilt, who's played a lot of football, former starter in the SEC. Uh, BYU, it's, it's always a little... Um, you know, you always have to expect a little bit of the unexpected when it comes to their roster makeup. Um, they did lose, uh, and I'm not exactly sure. I know he, he uh, would have been a super senior, but Chaz, uh, Chaz IU, who's been kind of a hybrid linebacker safety um, for them, but but is uh, one of their you know, higher rated recruits from the roster. Apparently he actually is no longer on the roster, but we did have him expected to, to start. Um, so that was a little bit of a surprise. Caleb Christensen at, at corner um, was somebody that could have been in the mix in the two deep. He was another who uh, somewhat, at least for me, it was unexpected that he uh, is now no longer on the roster in, into fall camp. So, um, you know, hopefully we, we caught all of those to, to know who will or won't be back. But, um, you know, this was a team that expected to return a lot of uh, or at least a handful of, of super seniors. And so sometimes, you know, they don't they don't necessarily make it back to the season. But um, the offensive line could be one of the best in college football for returning starters back from a unit that ranked third in O-line performance last year. They add Harris Lachance, who was banged up, uh, who could have been a starter, might be a starter this year. And then they add a former five-star in Kingsley uh, Suomataya from Oregon. So, um, you know, one of those two is going to fill that vacated spot uh, left by uh, Keanu Salapaga, who retired. Uh, or, or, you know, he was in the mix. It sounded like he was coming back. But James E.P., excuse me, uh, M.P., uh, undrafted free agent, but signed with uh, Dallas shortly after the the draft. They, I think, are, are going to be able to fill that spot pretty well. Um, receiver, definitely a strength. Gunnar Romney, Puka Nakua, very solid one-two duo. Isaac Rex at tight end sounds like is back and close to 100%. Uh, Dallin Hoker had a, a big spring. He unfortunately has been a little bit banged up, but between those two, um, you know, the tight end position should be solid. At quarterback, Jaron Hall is getting some NFL draft buzz and, and certainly is an exciting player. Um, really blossomed last year, uh, sort of, you know, stepping into that role uh, after, you know, Wilson moved on to the NFL. So it'll be fun to see. Hopefully he'll be able to stay healthy and, and play a full year. He was, um, you know, missed some time a little bit last year, but uh, another NFL player that they'll need to replace Tyler Algier, fifth round draft pick. Sounds like Mike had an, have an opportunity as a rookie certainly was an exciting uh, performer the last couple of years at BYU. They went to the transfer portal, brought in Christopher Brooks from Cal um, who sounds like is is off and running and and really ready to be uh, you know that that go to running back? But um, they do have some depth as well. Lapini Katoa's played a lot uh, as a uh, you know throughout his college career. Jackson McChesney, and then they've got 
Um, you know, BYU is one of those teams that utilizes the fullback position. They've got a couple of decent ones in, in Mason Wake and then a transfer from Stanford and Houston uh, Humuli. So BYU, I mean, it, it shouldn't be a surprise, top 15 team in our power rankings, but one of those teams that there's just not really a major weak spot. Um, their talent numbers aren't quite, you know, what we see from most uh, power five teams in this level of the rankings. Um, they're 45th in overall roster strength, 30th on offense, 77th on defense, but they put together two incredible years. I mean, two, you know, double digit win years and not just beating up on a bunch of G5 teams. I mean, as you mentioned, five and O against the PAC 12, including a win over the eventual PAC 12 champ. This year's schedule is just as tough. Um, it doesn't, you know, rank super high nationally 71st, but, uh, Big 12 champ Baylor, who beat BYU last year, is on the schedule. A trip to Oregon, that'll be tough. Mountain West champ Utah State is on the schedule. A game against Notre Dame, a game against Arkansas, East Carolina. You know, uh, their bowl game was was canceled, but went to uh, or was bowl eligible last year. The rivalry game, I guess you call it that now, uh, annual game at Boise State who also beat BYU last year, that'll be tough. And then, you know, Stanford is, is uh, um, a team that, that could give them some trouble potentially as well at the end of the year. So there are some tough matchups. And though I, I would say it, it's probably unlikely that BYU goes undefeated, but we don't have them as huge underdogs against either Notre Dame or Oregon. Uh, so dare I say every game on the, the schedule is winnable. Um, not sure that they maybe have the depth or just the raw talent to get it done, but BYU has been very good and, and really, you know, consistently um, pretty good the, the last few years. So I do think that, you know, double digit wins is absolutely on the table. Again, uh, like I said, with UCLA, they snuck in under the, the eight and a half, um, but I think, I think, you know, this looks like a 10 win team, uh, just sort of looking through the schedule, looking through the roster, kind of seeing where they, where they lie a nine win team, you know, that, that seems very reasonable, uh, as well. So, um, uh, I, I, I don't love that we're under the eight and a half and, and certainly, you know, it, it uh, Boise State's not. Not a given, obviously, as I mentioned, but you could see them losing to an Arkansas. You could see them losing to a Baylor. Uh, so it's 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 not wild to think that that eight and four um, is a, a reasonable expectation for BYU. But my my opinion on it is is they're probably a little more likely to get that ninth win and maybe even a tenth. Uh, than to finish eight and four. I just, they've been a very, very consistent team and there's really no obvious weak spot on the roster, at least the way, you know, as I'm looking at it. Xavier, what do you think of BYU for 2022? Is this uh, a team that's going to win double digit games for the third year in a row? Or are they going to take a little bit of a step back this year? I think they take a, a healthy step back. You know, I think their schedule is just a little bit more difficult. Uh, Baylor at Oregon, uh, Notre Dame at a neutral site, and then obviously they have Arkansas. I, I I just feel like 
out of those four games, they're not going to walk away with three out of those four. I, I feel like they're going to be two and two, and they'll probably drop one to Boise State at, at Boise um, it, for my best guess. They might even you know lose three out of those four games. I just feel like you see a, a, a somewhat of a step back in those games, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that the talent that they'll be facing in those games is going to be rather difficult. And also, I mean, they get both of those two games back, to, both of those four games, excuse me, back to back, uh, which I think that that's also probably a large part to do with it. You look at the schedule last year, just didn't have that same kind of like, you know, that, that, that same back to back difficult matchup type situation. They played Utah, then they got Arizona state. They got Boise state and Baylor. That's probably the best you could see, but they lost both of those matchups. Uh, so I, I, I think that when you look at it, their schedule just doesn't line up in a way that I feel like I'm comfortable saying that this is going to be another 10 win team. Um, especially when I, you know, even some of their quote unquote easier matchups are against the Stanford, who I think is going to be better or uh, like I, we talked about, uh, like at Boise state, you know, so you have to go to Idaho, which I think is a more difficult game than probably last year. We talked about Boise state getting back to what they were supposed to be or what they have been, uh, this season. So I feel like even though, you, you know, even their, their, their easier games, quote unquote, are, are still rather difficult. And I just think navigating that's going to be a little bit harder for them this year. Um, so yeah, I, I think they win nine games. I think they win eight or nine games this year. That's what I'm comfortable with. But to suggest that this is going to be another, you know, 10-win uh, season, I just can't go on a limb that well, that much. I think Puka Nakua is probably one of my favorite skill guys in the draft coming up this year. I expect him to be a 1,000-yard receiver, if not 1,100 yards. I expect, a, you know, a pretty good year from Jaron Hall. Nick, you're absolutely right. He's getting draft buzz for all the right reasons. Uh, I think he's going to be one heck of a player, uh, you know, this year. And I expect the rest of their receiving core uh, to also get better. Uh, I feel like last year they were pretty good, not great. Uh, you know, Puka Nakua was the only guy to, act to get over 500 yards. Um, I think both Romney uh, get, get over as well this year. So I, I like what they have. I'm just not ready to go out on the limb and say that they win 10 games this year with a much difficult schedule than what I think they had last season uh, going into this year. Now, granted, we also thought USC was going to be a ton better than what they were last year. But I think we have more bona fide, guaranteed, harder games than last year, which I felt like were like, oh, well, maybe USC is going to be pretty good. Maybe they're not uh, versus this year, which I feel like the team that they're going to be playing are much more bona fide. Like this team's supposed to be good and they're going to be good uh, going into this year. What's that? We're giving a minute and 30 seconds. Oh, oh okay. Uh, what running backs are available? Uh, everybody except for Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry. Take CMC. What the fuck are we talking about here? Okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, well, CMC is your number two. Listen, I knew I'm, that, Xavier. Come on. Listen, I'm just making sure. As <laughs> the expert, he talks about it on a regular basis. I want to make sure I get this number one pick correct. So. Yeah, look, uh, even with the injury stuff, and he probably will get hurt again, but he's the only guy that can score with quarterbacks. So, you know, sure. he's he's worth the risk at two. So if he fell all the way to eight, I think that's dumb. Yeah, so. Aaron Jones got, just got picked at four. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. People wow. are scared okay. about his injury history. <laughs> people are okay shaking. Yeah. all right all right here we go <clears throat> all right that'll wrap it up for uh this show but guys we have a little bit different of a schedule coming up this week i just want to let you guys know we will have a week zero preview along with five more teams in the next show so we will be doing uh week zero preview and five more teams to finish off here and then friday we're going to going to record the final 10 teams in the team preview. So I should have that out Saturday morning. So, you know, well before, I mean, none of those top 10 teams are playing uh, week zero. So uh, even if we have to push it beyond Friday, 
we'll have those final changes sure. done before week one for sure. Before week one for sure. Right. Exactly. So that is the uh tentative schedule moving forward here. So, you know, the uh the preseason wasn't long enough for us. We got a lot to talk about here. So uh, but we will be back for you guys uh fairly soon in the next couple of days. So remember you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at CFB Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish Chair I C H E. For Xavier, and we will see you guys on the next show. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.